This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. It's finished. That was the bank holiday. Got to wait till August, I think, for something else to happen. It was good. May. May bank holiday. How long does that one last? Is that another 500 days? Just one day? It's not quite the same, is it, really? I think the August bank holiday sounds a bit more exciting. Peaches Geldof makes the front pages of all the papers. She'd be thrilled. Not so sure she'd be thrilled that Sarah Ferguson turned up. Nobody can quite understand that one. Uh, David Moyes, set to be sacked as manager of Man United. Predicted payoff, £10 million. Uh, Abs Love says all his gravy with me and the boys. This is the little middle class boy who went to stage school who all of a sudden has become Jamaican for some reason. And the expression all his gravy is a heart back to the 70s. I mean, what planet is that buffoon on? It's all on LBC. Between now and 6.30. This morning, I'm Steve Allen. This is Early Breakfast. This is the 4am spike. This is when it goes through the roof and it doesn't... I don't care where you are. You could be, you could be in the highlands of Scotland... Stalking deer or antelope or elk, I don't care. Or watching orca whales off the coast. Um, it really doesn't matter. To, I don't mind. Or you might be working. But as we're all back to normal now, and my God, the heavens open this morning. I looked at, you know, as you normally do, you wake up in the morning and you have a little peer outside and you go, oh my God, it's going to be an umbrella day. So I bought my little umbrella in and uh, it was tipping down, absolutely tipping down. Uh, <coughs> and I thought, I feel sorry for all these people who are caught out in it. By the time we got to London, it was bone dry on the pavements. Now it started raining here. started raining here, but uh, outside, dreadful, dreadful. Uh, dreadful old Susanna Reid, I'm afraid, is in a lot of the papers today as they start going for their uh, projected... What they do on all these programmes, they have uh, run-throughs. So they'll be... While, while the other programme is going on, desperately hemorrhaging audience like there's no tomorrow... And, uh, and they do very well. They're, the other people will be rehearsing in another studio so that they've got chemistry. Susanna Reid has now done all the interviews. You know, a boring old bag to start with. Even worse now, you know she's earning a million pounds a year. As Nick Owens said, and I have to agree, what difference does it make? Are they deliberately, deliberately trying to alienate the audience? None of whom, unless they're drug dealers, will be earning a million pounds a year. So a woman sits there because she can read big words on an auto queue. He's getting paid a million quid a year. Well, that's really rubbing your noses in it, isn't it? That's really making you feel absolutely awful. That's making you feel so bad about it. And Nick Owens, it's like sort of me coming on air and go, Steve Allen, £350,000 a year. You know, it doesn't matter what people earn. So why it comes into it, I've got no idea. But uh, she comes up with all the old cod's wallet that you're used to hearing from an old, very old, established BBC presenter who's now coming into commercial terms. And she says, Ben and I, this is Ben Shepherd, have chemistry. Really? Well, since when has that happened, love? Since when has this happened? She says, I feel I've known him all my life. I feel I've known you all of my life and I've still got no chemistry with you, darling. So I don't know why, where this claptrap is that you get. I don't know where this comes from. I don't understand why people come up with these fatuous sayings. Ben and I have chemistry. got no chemistry at all. He's worked with loads of people. He's never mentioned you before. You've never mentioned him. Where do you think this chemistry comes from? Nowhere. It's just cobblers. It's just cobblers, I'm afraid. And they make it up to try and make it out. Oh, you're really going to enjoy watching us. Because she says here, you know, we're going to be doing it in a different way. I thought, well, you're not doing it start naked, are you? That'll really kill it stone dead. Well, it will for you, Susanna, because we remember... Oh, I'm not sexy. Do you remember when she was doing the Strictly Come Dancing? God, no, she was, she was as boring as hell. Give it to Sally Jacks. That's what I... She's looking for work. She'll work cheap. Charge her seven ninety nine for getting her in, and you're all right, though. 
I think that's worth it. It's a little in-joke for Bid TV. But uh, there's no chemistry with, with Ben Shepherd. He was doing the programme on this same station, on that station there, long before Susanna Reid, while she was sitting there being Miss Prissy on the BBC. BBC, probably quite glad to get rid of her. You know, she always... I still talk to Bill Turnbull. Of course, he, he'll stay there till he drops dead, I should imagine. But uh, there is no chemistry. Let's face it, over the years, you've woken up with the, uh, the Angela Rippons, the uh, Robert Keys, the Frosts, the Ford and the Parkinsons, and that was a total disaster. A total disaster. They spent so much money on TVAM. Uh, then you've got Lorraine Kelly and Mike Morris. Uh, Lorraine Ke- Actually, Lorraine Kelly, strangely, looks better now than she did when she was with Mike Morris. Mike Morris has died, sadly. Uh, then it became Anne Diamond and Nick Owen, and there was a chemistry. There was a chemistry between them. And uh, then you've got uh, Eamon Holmes... Uh, with Jackie Harper and Anne Davis uh, and uh, Anthea Turner, who he called Princess Tippy Toes, because there was no doubt who, who they thought was running that particular programme. And uh, then you've got Eamon... In his thin days. I mean, in those days, I mean, Eamon Holmes actually blended in quite nicely with the cushions. And then uh, Fiona Phillips and Eamon Holmes, Andrew Castle, and then Ben Shepherd and Kate Garraway. Uh, Andrew Castle with Kate Garraway and with Emma Crosby. And she didn't bring anything to the programme at all. And then, sadly... You then get Christine Bleakley and Adrian Childs died on its proverbial. And, uh, and then you get uh, Kate Garraway and somebody called Dan Lobb. I had no idea who he was, but he had nothing to give, I'm afraid. And Ali Jones and Lorraine. And we like Ali Jones. You know, because although I've always said, you know, if you're going to do breakfast television, you might as well just give up your life now. Uh, luckily, of course, Susanna Reid's uh, partner has it off with other people now. He's not remotely interested. He quite clearly knows exactly what she's like. But he's been very discreet. He's been very good about it. He hasn't sold a story on how ghastly she must be. So all the interviews that you read in the paper today about her and Nick Owen is quite right. You do not need to know what somebody's salary is. Do they think that we look up to them if they earn a million pounds a year? Is that what people aspire to? You know, earning a million pounds. I couldn't care less what people earn. You don't, you don't have... You know, Nick Ferrari, who I'm assuming is the top earner on LBC because he does the breakfast show. You don't have him talking about his salary or people banding around how much it is. Where does it come from? These negotiations are supposed to be secret. And unfortunately, it's overshadowed it. So no matter how prissy she comes over on the television, the audience are going to be hemorrhaging. They're going to be hemorrhaging because nobody's going to be interested in somebody who is, uh, who is that far up their own rear end that they alienate the audience. And it does alienate the audience. They don't, they don't want to know that. People you're broadcasting to, um, you know, sort of mum's sitting there with the kids screaming the place down where they're trying to get other kids off to school and trying to get them in and out of the bathroom. And that's all they're concerned about. Hardly anybody sits down and watches it as a serious news programme. It's a bit of flippity-jibbit, isn't it? Oh, no, she's that Josie Cunningham. Remember the one the other day? I'll have an abortion if it gets me on Big Brother. And Big Brother have said, I think not. Whether or not she'd had the abortion or not, there was no chance we were ever going to approach her. Of course, they have to do that, because otherwise they'd be wrapped over the knuckles. And uh, and the programme would be even more pants than it is at the moment, I'm afraid. Uh, She's had death threats, so they say. Uh, It's just an effort to... And in fact, somebody was talking about it on the telly the other day, and they said, "We're, we're doing exactly what she wants. We're talking about her. As opposed to some ugly old bag from up north who's already got two children, and uh, now she wants to abort the other one. So so they were saying on the television, I said, and she thinks she's a good mother, and she's prepared to abort a child. I can't believe she said it, but I bet you anything she'll turn up on this morning. They'll be bidding for her. She becomes, because she's so stupid, because she's so alienated from the entire universe, they'll, they'll put her on the television. I sincerely hope they just round on her, and I hope if, if they do... 
And it's because we don't want any sycophantic little interview, the, the type of which that uh, Amy... Nobody ever rounds on anybody on that programme. They just sit there and sort of brown-nose them. It's very embarrassing to watch. Very embarrassing. Uh, still in the papers today, Rebecca Adlington and her blooming looks. Shut up, woman. For goodness sake. I remember she broke down on I'm a Celebrity. Um because over cruel tweets about the size of her nose. Well, I mean, if you've got a big nose, love, you must know about it. It doesn't matter whether you get cruel things about it. But anyway, she admitted she's still insecure about her looks. Shut up! Shut up! I mean, do you have no other talent apart from droning on about the way you look? God, dear me, please. Please spare me. Spare me all this rubbish. Um, What have we got here? Oh, there's a custody battle. This is a father arrested and banned from seeing his daughter after a social worker, and we don't have too many nice things to say about social workers on this programme, she falsely accused him of abusing the little girl. Jonathan Coupland was handcuffed in front of his neighbours, thrown in a cell, and interrogated for ten hours after Susie Smith claimed she saw him sexually abusing his daughter, Jessica, then six. The social worker apparently is said to have made the allegation up in a fit of pique after the single father criticised the way she was handling a custody battle with his former partner. Mrs Smith, 53, a vile old bag, retracted her claims. Mr Coupland's been paid £86,000 damages by her employer, the Children and Family Court Advisory Support Service. Uh, the, uh, the body then sacked Mrs Smith and apologised to Mr Coupland. What a vile old trout she turned out to be. So in other words, because he criticised her, she went, right, I saw you sexually, but without realising the... I mean, she must be thick. You know, I don't mind, you know, if social workers occasionally get it wrong, provided nobody dies, but we've seen so many bent and corrupt social workers who ignore the plaintive cries of children. You know, Victoria Columbia, a classic example of a social worker who didn't see the body of this little girl and the bruises that were inflicted on there. Oh, she fell over, says the mother, lying old bag. And so you get people like Susie Smith who makes something up. And so luckily he's been paid £86,000. Should have been a million. Should have been a million. You know, this woman should be taken out there and literally dragged through the streets as the liar that she is. It's just, it's just absolutely appalling. He says, friends turned on me. I'm still treated, he said, like some sort of paedophile. All because of this lying old bag, Susie Smith, a so-called social worker. <laughs> well, I tell you. I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there's a great set of pictures in one of the papers today. I say a great set of pictures. It's not really a great set of pictures. It's, um, it's a person being mugged at a cash point in France uh, by a group of Roma gypsies. Uh, my advice is, always be very, very careful. If ever you're going anywhere near cash points, uh, one of my producers once was nearly mugged at a cash point. Uh, she went to the cash point, and they do that usual trick. They stand behind you, they go, sorry, have you just dropped that £10? And so she went, no, and put her foot on it. So she got her money out of the machine, she put it away, she bent down, she picked up the £10 and walked away. She got their money. And that's what they, they do, because they want to distract you from the money that's coming out of the machine. And there's a, a set of pictures... And all they did, calmly, after they'd uh, robbed this person, is they just walked away. They just walked away. It happened to uh, a friend of mine. A friend of mine who's in radio. And he came out of a club a little bit worse for wear. I've told you the story. And uh, he got surrounded by a group of uh, young men who said, we're going to go to the cash point. You're going to take £250 out, OK? And they didn't threaten him. They just walked him to the cash point. He took £250 out. They took that and his telephone and they blended into the, into the background. 
dreadful. Uh, in a moment, the posh Britain's Got Talent violinist and her mum's royal connection. Yes, the sad but true story of lettuce. Yes, they really did call their poor sap of a daughter lettuce. Quarter past four. Morning, everybody. Nick Ferrari and the team this morning. As teachers vote to go on strike again this summer, Nick will be asking, is it fair they hold our schools to ransom? Plus asking the author of a new book on dyslexia, why he believes the diagnosis is meaningless, and all the latest on the Man United manager, David Moyes, as his future at the club looks increasingly uncertain. Nick Ferrari and the team from Seven. Yasmin Khan, the broadcaster and playwright, is looking at the papers this morning. This is the programme everybody tunes into. This is the 4am spike. This is where... We just, uh, we sort out the men from the boys. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. And uh, another one here. It says, uh, bank holidays, Monday, May the 5th, Monday, May 26th, Monday, August the 25th. Lovely. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Some poor old uh, uh, gay boy in Leicestershire, Nick. In Leicestershire, says you don't care what people earn, and then you don't shut up about it for two months. No, because it's in the papers, sweet pea. You have to know about these things. It's not your, it's not your fault. You know, it's not your fault that you don't understand things. You're in Leicestershire. You know where it goes up Leicestershire, dumb, dumb, and then you get to Leicestershire, and that's about as far as it goes. So here's the posh, Brit- posh, posh Britain's Got Talent violinist and her mum's royal connection. Um, she's not undiscovered at all. This is uh, this is Lettuce Rowbottom, who has sisters called Felicity and Bunty. Bunty Rowbottom. I mean, you couldn't make it up, could you? Uh, they called her Lettuce, poor soul. She's not undiscovered at all. Simon Cowell is well aware of who she is. Well aware, because she's played with Ollie Murs, who is signed to Simon Cowell's record label Psycho, and she's performed for um, Prince Charles at Buckingham Palace. Uh, she's just another violinist. You could stick her in any old orchestra. It wouldn't make the slightest difference. Her mother is very well known. Uh, she's a, a painter. Her paintings sell for up to £10,000 a time. She lives in a £3 million house. She's a party girl. And uh, her younger sister's Bunty. Bunty's 19. And Felicity is 16. She says, I do like going to parties. Uh, I've never considered myself posh. It's mainly about talent. Yeah, but I don't think you know many people called Lettuce. I mean, really, I don't think. Um, She went to the Purcell School. £30,000 a year. And uh, also Charterhouse in Godalming. Day fees are more than £20,000. So she's uh, very well healed. Uh, could she win? Well, we've moved away from the, uh, the dancing granny who could drop dead any second. No point letting her win if she has a heart attack the night before the Royal Variety. There'll be a gap. But I suppose if you pick a violinist, although there's not really much you can do with a violinist, she wasn't that good. And then I watched the other day. I did watch the uh, magician who did Doves. On the programme. And uh, big fan of magicians, big fan of dove workers. Ed Hilsom, great dove worker. Loads of people at the circle do it. And all this bloke was doing was exactly the same as everybody else does. And yet they sort of, Anton Deck quite clearly had never seen a dove worker before. Because they're, they're bad acting. How does he do that? Well, he's not going to tell you, is he? He's not going to tell you. And they sat there and they kept cutting to the audience with sort of the well-faked and well-rehearsed... <gasps> Wow, you know, how does he do that? How does he, a dove just appears from nowhere? Magic, magic. And so they watched, I watched this bloke who's a Canadian, quite clearly a professional magician, judging by his, uh, his act. And, uh, and then he came on and, and did it, and they all went, yeah, it's fantastic. And it's very rare, actually, because magicians tend not to go very far on that programme because it's so carefully edited. But with him, he was just doing uh, everything that Ed Hilsom does, every single thing. There's nothing. Except the difference is, you were watching it on television, from a distance, Ed Hilsom can do it close up for you. And did. At our magic show at Christmas, uh, a couple of years ago now, at the Magic Circle. 
So, uh, so that's why. That's why it was... I thought it was very average. I just couldn't understand how they sit there. Alicia Dixon, I mean, you know, perhaps just opening a tin of beans must amaze her. Oh, look, bit open tin. There's beans in it. I can't believe there's beans in this tin. That's how, that's how pathetically stupid she is on the programme, where they obviously say, listen, darling, we're going to stick you for ten hours in makeup. Come out and then try and look incredulous as a dove worker produces doves. Of course, it'd be more interesting if we produced them dead. Or felling that, took out and went, and did a handful of feathers, which, of course, many of them done before. Uh, Peach's sad farewell and a last family portrait on the coffin. They had a hand-painted coffin, which actually didn't make her look at all good, poor soul. And then they had all sorts of people like Trudy Styler, uh, Bill Wyman, and the Duchess of York. I mean, what was she doing there? Apparently, she knew Peaches, although I don't ever remember seeing any pictures before, uh, through her daughters, who couldn't be bothered to go to the funeral. One of them was sunning herself on a beach, and the other one wasn't. But they couldn't be bothered to go to the funeral, so apparently they send their publicity... Sorry, their, uh, their, mother, their mother down there. Kate Moss went down, and there was a, a few other people as well, so it was a, it was a good turnout. It's sad, really, isn't it? I was, more, I was more intrigued by Sarah Ferguson and why her, her daughters weren't there. How rude. You're on holiday. Could you not fly back? Or was it, it not that important to you? Quite clearly, not that important. Unless there's some, some particular reason. Uh, Jan Moyer is carrying on with the callous and shameless Josie Cunningham, fame at any cost. A pathetic excuse for a person. Ugly, deeply, deeply unattractive, deeply, deeply troubled, deeply, deeply waste of space. You know, I will have an abortion if it gets me on the television. If you seriously believe in your tiny, stupid, pea-like brain, love, perhaps you should go up to Leicestershire. There's more people like you up there. And if you seriously believe that, you know, getting an abortion will get you onto a television programme, you're even more stupid than I thought you were in the first place. And we all thought you were pretty dumb first time round. Um, Muslim schools must respect British values, says Jack Straw. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um... Jack Straw's son, yesterday, Will Straw, said that Morris dancers should have the right to black up. And uh, speaking after he was branded racist for posting a photograph on the internet of himself with two blacked-up dancers, Will Straw said it was an English tradition and should not be regarded as bigoted. He's been selected by Labour, as you know, to fight for Rossendale and Darwin in East Lancashire at next year's general election. He put the image on Twitter after watching the Britannia Coconutters. A Lancastrian dancing troupe. One Twitter user wrote, A tradition like lynching used to be. Couldn't make it right. Yes, I mean, well, we used to have the black and white minstrel show on the television, didn't we? We used to have the black and white minstrel. That was, that was a very popular show on the television. And now you sort of watch it and it becomes a little bit, little bit cringe-making. Uh, <laughs> I had a friend called Lettuce, says Ian, at university. And a mate called Tom Arto. They were salad days. Yeah, I mean, actually, can you believe that somebody's seriously called Lettuce? I mean, where are these people coming from? Is that a posh name, Lettuce? Do you, if you go through sort of Rodine's school register, be qu- Lettuce Mumbles, are you here? Lettuce, you know, you could, I just don't see it as a name. I've never heard of it before. I don't know whether it's a very old-fashioned English name. I suspect not. I've been through graveyards before, and I've not actually seen anybody called Lettuce. I just thought it was some silly little posh name, isn't it? It's just a bit ridiculous. How did this bloke survive? He gets on a plane. He has an argument with his parents in California, right? He's 16. He has an argument, and he goes down to the local airport, and he stows away into the wheel compartment of a Boeing 767. Now, I don't know if you've ever looked at the wheel compartments, but when the wheel is up there, and it goes up automatically, so the plane takes off, bear in mind, he's clinging on 
He climbs up into this thing, and then all of a sudden... I mean, he could have been crushed to death. He made it to Hawaii. So he gets up there. The wheel, I mean, it, it frightens the life, man, even thinking about it. Even being that far off the ground with no safety net or something like that. So it takes him up into it. And after takeoff, he positions himself to avoid being crushed as the wheels fold into the compartment. At 38,000 feet, the temperature plummets to minus 62 degrees. He loses... Consciousness. As the wheels extend for landing, he remains unconscious. He wakes up one hour later, jumps down and wanders around until discovered by aircraft staff. He's in the air five and a half hours in the wheel compartment. How he never fell out, I have no idea. And they're all asking, how did he, how did he stay in there? Because when these... It's not exactly, you know, enough room to put a family of seven in there or something. When these wheels fold up into these compartments, it takes up most of the room. They're huge. If you look at the size of a person against the, the wheel and the, and the undercarriage, and every, it's, I mean, they're, they're tiny compared to it. These things are huge. So this thing folds up underneath. He could have been crushed to death. And when the wheels came down, he just would have dropped out as it comes into land. But he didn't. But he was still unconscious because the temperature took him down. He only had a hair comb with him. That's all he had. I was supposed to make himself look presentable on, uh, on arrival. It's, it's really bizarre. Really bizarre. I mean, uh, the FBI um, have said he will not face charges. <laughs> Bloody lucky to be alive. You know, facing charges. And, uh, as I say, at, at minus 62. I've been in minus 33. And believe you me, that is cold. That is so cold. It was bad enough the other day. It was absolutely freezing. Absolutely freezing. But uh, minus 62. He did very well. He did very well indeed. Uh, other stories. Oh, half of the Corrie cast have been given bumper new 12-month contracts, securing their future on the cobbles. And uh, those re-signed Kate Ford, who plays Tracy Barlow. She's an evil person. Very evil. Uh, Sam Aston is staying on. Ryan Thomas, who plays Jason Grimshaw. Uh, Alan Halsell, who plays Tyrone. And Tisha Merry, who is Steph Britton. I've got no idea who she is. Uh, meanwhile, Samia Garda, uh, Sam Aston, who plays Chesney, and Kate McGlynn, who plays Sinead Tinker, have been given gifted pay rises. They don't earn a huge amount of money. The, the average contract for these people would be around about 100000 a year, which is not a lot for a show that is sold around the world. I mean, everybody was surprised when they sort of went to, to do this. What, what they don't want to do is lose various people. Um, I don't think the going of Michelle Heaton will make the... Is it Michelle? No, not Michelle Heaton. It's Michelle Keegan. I don't think the going of her will make any difference at all to the Vigors. She, she, she wouldn't be missed uh, in any way, shape or form, I'm afraid. But uh, the other ones there will earn some decent money. You know, if it's over 150 grand, well then good luck to them. They have to work for it. I wish they'd uh, be as generous over at EastEnders. They tend not to be, though, do they? Look at Peaches Geldof's coffin. It's got a picture of their, their dogs um, and their cat. Now, I don't want to pour scorn on what people call dogs. You know, Rover would be a dog's name. You know, a cat would be Frisky. No, their cat is called Snuffkin. One of their dogs is called Papa. And the other one is called Bogwat. Am I in the right world? What is this? Is this the world of stupid names or something? Parper, Bogwatt and Snufkin. Have they come out of a book that I've missed? Are they in, are they in some sort of Harry Potter book? Oh, dear. You do worry, don't you? Uh, incidentally, in the, uh, the TV world of Ali Ross, who we love, he says, Lucy's Who Done It. 
This is uh, Lucy, who died, Lucy Beale. He said, farewell and good riddance. Who cares? The answer is, you didn't. 200,000 of you turned off. You couldn't even be that bothered with finding out who actually murdered her. As if you're interested. There's no good the, the soaps coming up with these sort of things. We don't care. And in fact, it was... Um, it was... Um, who was it in Coronation? Oh, yes, Coronation Street. Michelle Keegan's killed off. Who cares? Who cares? I'm not, I'm not that bothered about who's actually killed off in these things. It's, it's, it's how the rest of them survive. Just get on with it. They t- you know, I think they're trying to do a Dallas. They're trying to do a JR, where they go, ah, oh, people are really that interested, that interested. Lettuce, the violin player, created a sound that sounded like a cat getting strangled. Yes, I just thought she was very average. Very, very average. But, of course, that's, that's the British homegrown talent. That's the British homegrown talent. Uh, Read the abortion woman says, Johnny, I can't believe there are men alive so sad that they used to pay her for sex. Yes, she was an escort. That's their new name for it now. They don't call them hookers anymore or brasses or prostitutes. They call them escorts. It's like sort of comes with benefits, you know, pay a little bit extra, you know, and you get a little bit extra. Although in her case, apparently the, uh, the condom broke, she said. You can only think, I mean, you know, it's up to her to make sure. There are lots of other things apart from a condom that you can use to protect yourself. But uh, I wonder who the father is. Wouldn't we all like to know who the father is? Wouldn't you just like to see him in the paper? Wouldn't you just like to discover who he is? He's already got two kids. Fantastic. Do you think the fathers are supporting them? I have no idea. It would be nice to think that they were. But I've got a horrible feeling, judging by if she's prepared to abort a child to get on a television programme, things are maybe not looking so good at home. Coming up, the former Formula One champion, uh, Michael Schumacher, may still be in a coma, but that doesn't stop somebody from trying to sue him. Find out more next. LBC Newstime, 4.30. To five. I cannot find in any of the newspapers this morning these adverts for the, uh, for the compensation for Jimmy Savile. I can't imagine how they're going to word it. But apparently they've set aside £3 million... And uh, and I'm going through. I've been through the Independent. I've been through all the other... Pa- I cannot find it anywhere. Is it? Perhaps it's not coming out today. Let's have a look at the Times, see what they've got. They've got a picture of two people on the beach at Western Supermare for that rare moment where they actually had a, a little bit of sunshine. Because yesterday, again, the heavens opened like something dreadful, I'm afraid. And so uh, most people... Oh, so I love this. Good morning. No, we're just feeling grumpy. I love people say, good morning, how are you? Okay, what's it going to do with you? I always give them a rundown of medical history. That kind of shuts people up when they start asking dumb questions. First thing in the morning, so how are you feeling today? How was your weekend? What did you do? And you go, I'm not telling you. I shall save it as a surprise for later. No, so far in the uh, in the time... Oh, lovely. Diabe- diabetics have feet amputated because of NHS care failures. Thousands of diabetics have their feet amputated needlessly. In the worst areas, people with diabetes are seven times more likely to have amputations than those in the best-performing parts of the country. They always check my feet on a, on a fairly regular basis. They have to, because I'm a, a diabetic. And uh, I always talk about the things that I have done in the, in the hospital, things I spend most of my time either in hospital or in the doctors. <laughs> That's where they look after you the best. But they do check your feet, and you're supposed to check them all the time. No, I can't find anything in the papers... I can't find anything. Is it... uh, Perhaps they've sort of hidden it away somewhere. It's ridiculous. But I cannot find it. I cannot find it at all. Oh, there's a lovely interview with Fern Britton. Which, uh, we've got Fern Britton coming in tomorrow for In Conversation. Love Fern Britton. Today... Today we've got Michaela Strachan. 
in to record for In Conversation. So I'm very much looking forward to that, which is great. The, uh, the captain of the ferry which sank off South Korea, killing at least 86 people, committed unforgivable murderous behaviour, the country's president said. Park Gyun-hai blasted the captain, Lee Jun-seok, for telling passengers to stay in their cabins and await instructions while the ship slipped beneath the water. Video has shown that Lee was among the first people to be rescued from the stricken uh, seawall. The death toll following Wednesday's tragedy now stands at 86, with up to 220 still missing. In other words, there are still 220 bodies probably still trapped in the ship, which they're going to have to get out at some time. 174 people were rescued. And still those dreadful scenes on the television of people who just want to know where their children are, or school children who must be so traumatised by the whole thing, they will probably never get answers to uh, why the ship went down or where their friends are. And until they get that, they cannot get closure. Terrible. Uh, British anarchists are encouraging illegal immigrants to claim they are gay if they're collared by border officials. A Sun investigation found activists in Calais holding coaching sessions on what lies to tell if they're caught. At one meeting, an anarchist ringleader called Joy, and uh, I think they have a picture of of Joy here, uh, told a man from Ghana, if you say, I come to England to find work for a better life, this will be no good, they will deport you. Maybe if you say you're homosexual, then this is good, because in Ghana they're going to kill you straight away if they discover you're gay. Even though Ghana is riddled with homosexuals, riddled with it. They just have to keep a little bit, little bit quiet. They're slightly backwards in the country when they sort of consider that uh, to be gay is not normal. Whereas, in fact, some of the practices they get up to, I would suggest, are even more unnormal. But uh, here they have people waiting at the Calais ferry port, so tell them you're gay. How, perhaps we should have a test in this country. OK, we're going to bring in Tom Daly, OK? You know, and they're going to make them watch films of Tom Daly diving, seeing if that has any effect on them. Because you can't just have people saying, I'm gay, because you think, no, you're not, you're a liar. You're a liar. It's like, who was it the other day? Somebody was, uh, that was one of these police programmes, and they were looking at somebody who's on benefits in Slough. He hadn't worked in three years, yet he owned four properties, because he was drug dealing. Luckily, they found a house full of it. And, um, and ironically, he was somebody who, cla- pardon me, claimed to be ter- terribly religious, and yet was sponging off the state, uh, was dealing in drugs... And uh, was also helping people get off speeding tickets. He was forging all sorts of speed camera things and charging local minicab drivers in Slough, of which there are a load of illegal minicab drivers coming from Slough, who drive up from Slough to work in London. They're all on benefits. And they drive around the streets of London, and there's so many people on the streets that sometimes the police turn a blind eye. They have to. They get rid of people at the end of the night. It's not difficult to find an illegal minicab. It really isn't, I promise you. 84850steve@lbc.co.uk. Uh, somebody says here, the name Lettuce is of Latin origin. <laughs> it's joyful and happy. It doesn't say anything about being an upper-class twit with mints for brains, says Simon. Uh, so that's what it meant. Joyful and happy. Lettuce. <laughs> it's a silly name. You know, you know, Brian. Phoebe. You know, and n- normal names, not lettuce. That just makes you sound ridiculous. I thought it was bad enough for the Geldof family. Heavenly Hirani Tiger Lily. You know, to be honest with you, I thought Pixie Geldof sounded a bit stupid as well. They, they, they weren't exactly the most normal names, but then you see the names that they've given the animals, and I suppose it kind of all fits into place, doesn't it? Perhaps I'm living on another planet. 
Perhaps it's just because I don't understand. It's like it's like art. I remember Brian Sewell. Brian Sewell used to live with Anthony Blunt years and years ago before Blunt died. That was the the traitor you remember. And and Brian Sewell would sort of go on television and explain about art. Do terribly terribly like that. Always always wear a black polo neck. And it was sort of. And I used to think perhaps I don't understand art. You see, I think art has to look. Like art. And there's a big exhibition, I think, at Tate Modern of... I can't remember who it is. It's a very big exhibition coming up. And it just looks like bits of coloured paper stuck on a piece of bit of cardboard. I don't quite see... Mo- I never understood Picasso. As far as I'm concerned, a painting is... If you go to the National Portrait Gallery, they've got paintings down there. Which I promise you, they look like photographs to me. They're so good. Adamant's album, on his latest album, it's, it's two paintings. But they look like photographs of people. And and you think to yourself, wow. You see, that to me is art. Picasso and Cubism and, and even Impressionism, I wasn't really that impressed with. You know, if, if, when I went to Tate Modern, it was the biggest pile of rubbish I'd ever seen in my life. I thought it was like the Emperor's New Clothes. You know, that people were being fooled into thinking that this stuff really was art. I, I, th- I thought we were being conned when we got Tracy Emin's unmade bed. I thought, you can come and see my bed any morning. Actually, I'm a bit, I'm a bit, uh, a bit, uh, a bit sort of restrained in that one because I always make the bed I always make the bed it's like doing the washing up isn't it you have to do the washing up every day and so when sort of Tracy Emin came along I thought you're you're crackers aren't you absolutely bark an unmade bed and that becomes art an upside down Christmas tree at the Tate became a piece of art you know all of a sudden you'll have a what was it just I went to one exhibition once and we haven't been wandering through and I'm looking at it thinking this is absolute rubbish perhaps we're being fooled by the establishment it's like whenever you see dress designers and, and you watch them on the Paris catwalks and you look at the clothes they're coming out you think who buys this rubbish who buys it where where does it come from and you think I don't ever see people walking down the street with this on so where does it go to I don't know perhaps people buy it and go oh I'm going to look terribly fashionable and, and it doesn't always work, I'm afraid. It doesn't always work. Uh, 84850. Somebody says, the, at the Steve Allen show, the land of silly names. Hysterical. <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine earlier on. He carries anodins with him because he gets headaches. And I said, I'm very lucky. I do not get headaches. I don't know why, but I don't get headaches. Some people get really bad headaches. I don't get headaches. I'm quite, I'm quite good, actually. I'm quite good at, at not getting headaches. Mind you, I, I had a bleeding nose once. I had a nosebleed. Bleeding nose. A nosebleed. I don't know where that came from, either. Uh, Josie Cunningham has postponed her op after she was rejected by TV's Big Brother. Oh, that's good, isn't it? That's nice to think that, uh, you know, there might be something in that pea brain of hers that's uh, actually functioning. Uh, also, um, what are the perfect... The perfect coupling? Um, you know, so when when you look at... Pairs. So you look at, I think in, in one of the uh, the listings, Barbara Windsor and somebody else, who, Sid James. Barbara Windsor and Sid James as a as a perfect couple on uh, the television, and they've got a whole list of things like Marks and Spencer. That would be a that would be a good coupling. Uh, Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Watson. I think they were gay. I'm pretty certain that they they were gay. I've decided actually. Uh, sausage and mash. You see, I think sausage and chips. Sausage and mash, I don't think sounds as exciting, does it? Uh, tea and biscuits. Morecambe and Wise. Oh, right, here it is. Here we go. This is in the mirror today. It's the only paper that's got it, isn't it? The, and I wonder whether they've just went with the mirror. 
And they say here, this is in the High Court of Justice, the Chancery Division, uh, in a matter of the administration of the estate of Jimmy Savile, a scheme to facilitate the handling of claims by victims of alleged sexual abuse. So, persons sexually assaulted by Jimmy Savile who have not notified claims to the National Westminster Bank as a personal representative of Jimmy Savile will lose the ability to recover from the estate. You've got a year from the date of this advertisement or as soon as possible thereafter. And you have to give, if you wish to claim, notice within six weeks of the date of this advertisement. That's by the 3rd of June... 2014, as notice given after that will hamper the efficient administration of the scheme. And there's loads of people, loads of people doing it. Erwin Mitchell, Anthony Gold, solicitors, uh, Raywell. And they say, warning, if notice is not given of a claim before distribution of the estate, all right to recover from the estate will be lost. And so that's what they will do. So what you will have to do is write in, if you haven't already registered... And you will have to prove that, you know, it's no good just writing and saying, I was abused by Jimmy Savile on this, on this certain date. You've got to know exactly when it was. And they're not going to be handing out money willy-nilly. They've got £3 million. They say it could be up to £60,000. £60,000. How these solicitors get paid, I've got no idea. Presumably they, they're on a, on, a, on a retention fee on this one. So they've got the money put to one side. And uh, they say it's... in. Retention is that the estate will be paid to claimants or distributed to beneficiaries without any retention for further claims and without further notice within a year after the date of this advertisement or as soon as possible thereafter. So you've got your six weeks to get those claims in. If you have not already put a claim in, if you have not made interest to the police that you were abused by Jimmy Savile, you could lose this advert, though. You really could. But, um... So, in other words, the money that he had left, which I assume is the... See, at one time, I thought there was £4 million. So, in other words, a million has gone already. It's been swallowed up in, in some sort of legal fees. And so they've got £3 million left. Well, that's not going to go very far if there's going to be a lot of people coming forward. I think there's a 100 and something so far. But I suspect after this advert, and unless you buy the mirror, you're not going to find it. It's, you know, it's, you, you have to, you're lucky I've told you about it. Because otherwise you'd be going, where, where do we go to? Where do we go to? You have to buy the mirror now today to find it, because I can't find it in any other paper at all. So perhaps they've just decided to do, uh, do a one-off. Look, it's local papers. Is it? Is it in Metro? Have we looked in uh, Metro? I haven't even looked at Metro. But the, all the papers cover Peaches Geldof today. And, uh, you know, and the, and the nice coffin, which they're then going to cremate. But uh, loads of people turned up, actually. Some people, you wouldn't even know who they were. Razorlight frontman Johnny Burrell. I don't even know who he is. I've heard of Razorlight. Why would he go? Why would he go? Singer Eliza Doolittle. Uh, the Boomtown Rats, Pete Briquette. Uh, Bob Geldof. Their tributes to his daughter. While Fifi, Trixabel, Pixie and Tiger Lily all spoke at the service. Uh, in keeping with his desire for privacy, her friends and family said little after the service. One attendee who wished to remain anonymous says it was a lovely service. It was, of course, very sad. It was very, very moving. But I don't want to say any more. It's funny, isn't it? Somebody who craved the, the limelight and the attention so much, and the whole family do put themselves into the media spotlight. You know, you have something like this, and they don't want to say anything about it. I think I still think they should bring out... I know it's, it's, it's not probably fashionable, but we aren't very good at doing death in this country. In fact, we're, we're chronically awful. Other countries do it so much better. Why don't we video somebody's funeral? Why don't we video somebody's funeral? You've got that to look back on. You do it for everything else, don't you? You do it for... Um, 
for uh, for a birth. You do it for a marriage. Sometimes you do it for a divorce, if you're that lucky. But you, do on, you go on holiday. And yet, at the end of your life, we don't do anything at all. All you've got there is a box, you know, and you have to try and remember. I think it's an image that you, that you take with you to your own grave. You always remember, don't you, what somebody looked like when they died. Have you ever seen anybody dead? Never seen anybody dead. Producers, never seen anybody dead in his life. Never seen anybody. Good Lord. You will. You will. At some point, you will. I think I've seen quite a few people. Quite a few people dead. You know, family members. And it's, it's an odd... Because it does kind of stick with you. Coming up, are you a morning person? If so, one in four of us can't stand you. It's LBC. It's quarter to five. Morning, every ten to five. It's interesting. All the papers, and the producer just pointed it out, a rare occurrence. He said all the pictures in the papers, all the celebrities going to Peach's uh, funeral... None of the family. None of the family there. And I think they, well, I just told you they all spoke at the service. But they obviously wanted to keep it private, which, as I've also pointed out, is very odd when you're in the public eye. She craved the attention. She had a little taste of celebrityism. And uh, she craved it. She really, really wanted it. So perhaps they've decided that perhaps enough is enough now. Because if there's too much attention on you in the media, then it has a tragic ending. And we still don't know until we get the toxicology results exactly what it was that killed her. But either way, I think it was that diet thing. I think it's that diet. Although Sarah Ferguson looked terrible. And, uh, you know, so lined and so old. She's certainly not made the best of herself. And, um, and again, still thinking that she's something important in the, in the world, of which she's not. Because the producer said, what does she do for a living? I said, well, that's a very good question. I don't know. She spends a lot of time in America. Prince Andrew's had to put up with her, so she's got a room in his house, which I think the Queen pays for. And, uh, and she'll take money from just about anybody. You know, so if it's Weight Watchers or it's uh, some tacky kind of thing. And then she, apparently she claimed that she wrote books. Remember Budgie, the little helicopter? And then it turned out there was a very similar book which came out some years before. Apparently, Michelle Keegan... Try to suppress laughter here. Michelle Keegan, really great Shakespearean actress. Oh, no, sorry. No, that one. No. Michelle Keegan, dead in Coronation Street, is dreaming of Tinseltown. I wouldn't rule out Hollywood if it happened. I'd be mad not to, she says. Well, they they are. There's some good jobs going on over there for you. Parking cars, waiting tables. They're not going to be offering you any work anytime soon. Isn't it hilarious that she's so naive? She thinks that, you know, Hollywood is the place to go. Have you been to Hollywood, dear? Perhaps you need to go there and open your eyes. Go and take a bus tour. Steve Allen did a bus tour over there. Best thing I've ever heard on the radio. Oh, it's me. Sorry, I'm talking about myself in a third person now. Yes, that was the producer's mad idea. Oh, let's go on a bus, she said. <laughs> so off we troop to Hollywood, where we fly over to interview Julie Andrews. And she, we've got... Because I'm fascinated by Hollywood, and you do a bus tour, and I've never been a tourist. I prefer not to sort of, you know, take my chance on things like that. And so we did. We get on this ropey old bus, and off we toddle, and you go round Hollywood... It shows you all the studios, and it really does. It looks like you've stepped back into the 40s. All the movie houses, they've got all these old-fashioned fronts with, you know, ju- oh, it's like Art Deco. Then we went past the Viper Room, which is where, um, uh, who died there? River Phoenix died there, and that's sort of quite... And there's an ice cream place over the road you could get off the bus and get them an ice cream, but we didn't, we stuck with it. Then we went down... And we went to sort of, we were in Bel Air, I think. Whatever it was, it was Rodeo Drive and it was all flash cars and everything else. And it was then that the bus broke down for the first time. So she goes, oh, it didn't matter, Steve. It's okay. We'll have a sit down and a cup of coffee. So we went and got a cup of coffee. In fact, I spent so much time with her on that trip, I thought we were going out. Seriously. She didn't, of course. And uh, so we have a cup of coffee. The next bus arrives, so we get on that one. But this time it's, it started to get a little bit chilly. 
So we get on the next bus. Well, we managed to get... I don't know where we were heading to, but all of a sudden the bus started making this noise. Bang, 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 underneath us. Like we were trailing pots and pans. And lo and behold, the uh, the drive shaft fell out. So that, that was bus number two. Bus number two. And so we end up having to sit in a McDonald's with about six other people on the bus, waiting for another bus to come and collect us and take us home again, because we'd lost the will to live. By this time, it's pitch black and freezing cold, but we laughed. Well, we laughed next morning. At the time, we didn't laugh at all. We couldn't wait to get in. We were so cold. So cold. Because when you start off in Hollywood, it's, it's quite... It was warm and sunny. We just had, you know, it's like T-shirt-type things on. Uh, Dorman Dom is a 4am spiker. Phil says, very good pairing. Bangers and mash, pie and mash. So I don't think Steve Allen and Christo works. Oh, I think it does, actually. I think you'll find it really does. That's a very popular one round here. Although Steve Allen and Kay Burley is actually uh, the most popular pairing at the moment, I think you'll find. Um, and Johnny said, been the quietest Easter ever in the taxi trade. Off to Hans for a couple of days now to chill and take my medication. <laughs> Can you imagine? Medication. I have days like that. I sort of get my medication out. I sort of look at it and think, I really do take this much medication. It's good, though, isn't it? Keeps you going. Keeps you going. And um, uh, one says, Steve, I, I've had enough of all the Savile stuff. I saw him on Louis Through and thought he was very odd. I think he was, he was always odd. I don't think he was ever not odd. Who was it was talking about him the other week? Uh, Linda LaPlante said she met him once. Very creepy man. Uh, I never met him. He phoned me once. He phoned me once. Uh, on the station. I remember thinking, I think he's drunk. But uh, the rumours abounded, didn't they? The rumours abounded. I think there's going to be a whitewash over Cyril Smith. That's what the papers are predicting. That there's going to be a government cover-up. They're not prepared to talk about this uh, this fat old man who went round abusing people. And that's the and so it could be a whitewash. Could be a whitewash. Uh, James Arthur has been singing the praise of Simon Cowell. Uh, yeah, well, I think you better backtrack on some of it, matey, because otherwise, you know, it's not going to go so well. And Jimmy Carr won't give up on the hair dye. It's a pain doing it. Can you imagine what it'd be like if I let myself go grey or white for good? Some people do, and I think that's okay. I think going grey and white is is nice. Britain's Got Talent, two million viewers, second week, it's lost. Uh, Half the people have got no talent. You're padding out a programme with about one person who might have a, a modicum of talent, I'm afraid. And um, Canadian magician Darcy Oak stole the show as he made doves appear by lighting sparklers. Wouldn't have made any difference. I mean, every magician does exactly the same. You don't just produce a dove from nowhere. It generally goes better with a little bit of fire because it looks a little bit more impressive. Uh, still looking for, um, for bodies from that Malaysian boat, the Sewell. And uh, it's... Uh, sorry? Korean boat, sorry. What did I say? Malaysian. Yes, the Malaysian... Yes, I'm sorry. Malaysian was the flight. They're all losing things, aren't they, at the moment? Somebody sent me a joke the other day. I don't often do jokes on the programme, because it's it's not the sort of programme that does, that does jokes. But this one kind of made me, uh, made me smile. And uh, it's... Uh, wait a minute... I've second thoughts. I'm not too sure, actually, whether I can repeat it, because it, it might be seen as being a bit a bit of bad taste. Although we thought it was hilarious when, when we did it uh, at the time. We did it at dinner the other day, and uh, it's... Uh, I don't know. I suppose you could do this one. Channel 5 tonight. You can, you can push a little button on this one if, if you think this is in bad taste, OK? Channel 4... Doc- did you think that was OK? That was a... Did you think that wasn't OK? Did you push the button on it? You didn't, did you really? You didn't. I'm going to say it again in a minute. 
<laughs> I thought it was quite good, actually. Uh, Patricia says, why do people film births? It's intrusive, tasteless and repulsive. Well, I mean, like, wouldn't you like to know what you looked like when you came into the world? I mean, I apparently was gorgeous. I've got pictures of me as a baby, which we've shown at some of the live shows, where I've got curly blonde hair. Changed a little bit after that. I was, I was a chubby little boy. Chubby little boy. But uh, Patricia says, I've seen lots of dead bodies. I used to work in a funeral home. I always, whenever I watch these programmes, you know, with Amanda Redman on the television where she's a pathologist, I always think, is that really a body or is that a, is that a rubber body or is it a, a person playing a body? Because you always see what watch, don't you, to see if you can see them breathing. I do that all the time. It's, it's probably slightly strange, but I'm a little bit peculiar in that way. But I did, in fact, used to, uh, used to work in a department store and they had a funeral home there, so we did help. Uh, them down in there if they needed a bit of help with sort of getting somebody out of one of the coffins and putting them into the uh, into the chapel of rest. So I sort of grew up with it. I mean, that's that's the nice side of it because you're you're doing something nice for somebody. Uh, the horrible side would be people having to go out, you know, and get children or motorway crashes or the river police or all that kind of stuff. That way, it wouldn't be so good. But I'm always amazed that people like the producer said this one. He's never seen a dead body. He's, he's trying to work out whose will be the first, mine or his own. <laughs> I said, well, put it this way, take a picture of me and Twitter it. Tweet it. A good, I said, as long as I look good. As long as I look good. Chris Addison gets his 60-second interview in the papers today. Chris Addison is the one who looks really, really young. But he's 42. I know, to me, he looks 17, 18. And they've got a picture of him here, and it's not actually a great picture. He's got a, a new sitcom called Trying Again, which is a romantic comedy drama. He's, I mean, he's incredibly young looking. He has done a couple of quiz shows on the, there's some ghastly quizzes on the television. I think on some of these channels where they get sort of BBC Three or whatever it is, I think they just fill them up with drivel. People who obviously think that they're terribly, terribly funny. And of course, they're not funny at all. It's just, you know, it's just tedious. And I sit there sometimes stony-faced. I can't remember the last time something actually made me laugh out loud. Coming in here, actually, I suppose, which makes me laugh out loud. Got to laugh, haven't you, occasionally? Makes you feel a little bit uh, better about life. We will talk about the early morning people. I don't know which, uh, which paper that, uh, that story... Is that The Express? Oh, and David Beckham makes a surprise appearance on China's Voice TV show, presumably for a fat fee again. That's all he does. He just wanders around the world picking up fees. It's all terribly sad, isn't it, really? Plenty more to come. Just remember, today is Tuesday. I know you might think it's Monday, and as I was having a bit of a mare of a day the other day, thinking that, in fact, it was Sunday, so tweeting about, don't forget my In Conversation programme, until the producer sent me a, a text going, I think you're a bit confused. I was a bit confused, it has to be said. I did seriously think yesterday was Sunday, I don't know why. Why would I think that? Mad as a fruit bat, isn't he? That poor old Steve Allen. Anyway, Easter is finally over. The majority of you should be back to work, including Lisa Aziz, who's here at 6.30 with the news. Coming up, the former Coronation Street actress Sarah Lancashire is hit out at the ludicrous prejudice held against soap stars by some writers and producers in the TV industry. And 3,000 patients die of thirst in hospital every month. From LBC, I'm Steve Allen. It's next. This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Welcome along to the programme. Who was Solomon Grundy? Remember Solomon Grundy? 
This is uh, a, a person who uh, he was born on a Monday, christened on Tuesday, married on Wednesday, took ill on Thursday, grew worse on Friday, died on Saturday, buried on Sunday, and that was the end of Solomon Grundy. But who was he? It's an old poem from the 1800s. But who was Solomon Grundy? And was it put out as a warning? Was there some illness doing the rounds? All of that and more, including crucial school exams, could be hit by strikes this summer and 3,000 patients dying of thirst in hospital every month. Every month. Unbelievable. From LBC, this is Steve Allen. It's Tuesday and it's all next. And I still can't find that Jimmy Savile advert in any other paper except the Mirror this morning. But we think it'll probably go in local papers as well. So here's, uh, here's David Beckham, obviously booked for The Voice uh, in China. He'll just go anywhere for the money, won't he? I mean, it's a case of, you know, how much money you got? Oh, 100,000. Yeah, he'll be over there for that. And so he just flies over. That's why they don't see each other. Perhaps that's why the marriage lasts so well. Him and old Vic. Have they had the 40th birthday party? Have we done that? Were there any photographs? Apparently not. Apparently not. Was there anybody very interesting? Not really. And uh, here we are. This is art at the moment. And this is art from a typewriter. So people are very... I'm always fascinated by artists. I mean, I can't, I can't draw for toffee. I could just about draw a fir tree, and that would be the extent of it. Or a drill. I could draw a drill. Only because we learnt to do it at school. But when I look at some people who do, you know, drawings, and these are people who've done it on a type... I couldn't even do... Um, that, that other thing where you twiddle, you know, etch a sketch. I can't even do pictures on that. All mine look rubbish. Absolute rubbish. But, uh, but people are using typewriters now and they're sort of making really, really great pictures. I had to laugh the other day. I came out of town on Sunday to go and see a friend of mine as we did a, a walk. Freezing cold morning, Sunday was. And I went up to, just past the Ritz, they have all these paintings on the railings, most of which come from China. They, you buy them in warehouses. You can always tell when they've got those sort of, you know, you think, I, I wonder if they would be honest and say, no, I didn't paint them. I wonder if you could say, are you the artist? Perhaps if you go up there with, a, with an accent, oh, excuse me, you're an uh, artist? And see if he said yes, could you go, no, you're not. I remember seeing a, an exposure on, might have been Channel 4 some years ago, and it was of, um, it was of um, people who went to China and they just bought up all this mass-produced oil paintings. Thousands of people producing these ridiculous pictures, which they then sell, and they sell them at car boots and everything else. But uh, along the railings are the worst examples of this tat that you can buy. And none of it's painted here. There's very few artists go up there because artists just don't do that kind of thing. And it's been the same old tat for donkey's years. And every time I drive past it, I think, does anybody buy it or do they just put this stuff up there? And how much are they charging for this rubbish? Because remember, it turned up all, you know, in t- I'll tell you what's turned up as well. More of these mock auctions. I've seen, I've been watching some adverts for the, for the mock auctions coming up again. You know, where you can buy a, a laptop for £20 or something like that. You need to go to one, but don't buy anything. You're buying absolute rubbish. They were, the other day, around Twickenham, some, uh, some people, you know, people who travel, uh, were selling knife sets, sets of coloured knives, which they were selling, ironically, at the market at, um, at Northfield the other day. Same sets of knives. And I said to, to one of the guys, I said, how much did you pay for them? He said, I paid a tenner. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said he wanted 50 quid. I said, did he really? So if anybody, one of everybody ever pays 50. Anyway, he, he then came down, it went to 20, went, no, mate, give you a tenner. So anyway, he took a tenner. So when I saw this set of knives in the market the other day, I was very keen to find out how much they were. How much were they? Nine ninety nine. So quite clearly, there's a load of these tatty old knives out there. And if they're selling them for nine ninety nine a market, they're probably paying about three quid for them. 
So that's why. So this guy obviously had a load of them. And also tobacco. Hey, mate, do you want to buy some tobacco? No. Why would I want to buy tobacco of a perfect stranger? All right, it's good. Uh, you must go and see Dirty Rotten Scou- Scoundrels, the musical. Uh, if only for Robert Lindsay. Well worth seeing. And uh, Avenue Q is back in London for three weeks. Book of Mormon is up the road, which is doing very well. And uh, performing for the Rays of Sunshine. Uh, this is a concert here. Uh, they've got Alicia Dixon, Union J. Good grief. Pixie Lot. Professor Green. Oh, he's finally decided to come out and do something, having cancelled all his dates. And Ollie Murs. I don't know. Would I want to go and see Ollie Murs? I don't know, actually. I'm in two minds over Ollie Murs. I can't, can't quite, get to, uh, quite get to grips with that. Interesting. Uh, 84850, Steve, at uk. Local papers, apparently. Local papers, where you'll find the advert about the uh, Jimmy Savile abuse and the money and the details of what you've got to do. You've got six weeks to get a claim in. If you don't uh, put your claim in, you could you could lose it. OK, so the advice is uh, follow the advice on there. 84850, uk. Let's try and find... So we had Solomon Grundy. And if anybody knows who he is, I would love to know. Was it, was it put out? Published in 1842, they say. 1842. But was he a real person? Did he actually... You know, get born on a Monday, christened on a Tuesday, married on a Wednesday, took ill on Thursday, grew worse on Friday, died on Saturday, buried on Sunday, and that was the end of Solomon Grundy. Was it a warning? You know, we, we know from some of the children's uh, poems, like Ring a Ring of Roses, you knew that that was the plague, didn't you? That was the plague. And then when you went, a tissue, a tissue, all fall down, that's what happened. Before you died, you sneezed, and then you dropped down dead, and that was put out. So as kids, we didn't know that. We just thought we'd say, ring a ring a rose, there's a pocket full of poses. And that was to ward away the smell of, uh, of the plague. People used to walk around with these strange things on to keep the smell of death away from them, and they used to come around ringing the bell, bring out your dead, bring... You could do it round here this morning, take, take the producer away straight away, bring out your dead, you get thrown on a cart, taken outside of London, thrown in a lime pit, and then just covered over, and then hundreds of years later, we start putting up buildings, and God knows, we spend most of our time building here in London, probably the same way you are up and down the country, probably the same, and, uh, and they start uncovering things. I did tweet, but if you missed my tweet the other day on my Twitter, which is at Steve Allen Show, I was a bit disappointed in the Museum of London. We went there specifically to see the Cheapside Hall, because some years ago, many, many years ago, a house was being renovated, and in the basement they found, buried, as the workmen were sort of digging up the flooring, a chest. When they opened the chest, the sight that greeted them apparently was enough to blow your socks off. It was filled with jewels, filled with jewellery, intricate little things, earrings and uh, tiara type, all sorts of things. So I was fascinated to see the Cheapside Hall. That's because it was found in Cheapside. And I was very interested to actually to actually see what it looked like. And what I thought we would see, because it's £10 to go, but I've got an art card, so it was only £4, the Museum of London, which is free normally. But if they have special exhibitions, you have to pay for it. And so I thought they would show you, you know, a little film about it, and then, in the end, the curtain would rise, and there would be a chest, and there would be the Cheapside Hall. That's what I wanted to see. What, in fact, I saw was a lot of pictures of people around at the time, sort of wandering around, and uh, little cabinets. And then, in the main room... They've taken the jewels out, because I think they've split them between them and a couple of other museums. And, and they were sort of hanging up in there. I was a bit disappointed. 
I wanted to see a chest overflowing with, with the cheap side jewels. They didn't know if it was a jeweller or if it was a thief. They didn't, they didn't know. They didn't know. Apparently there's a cafe in Manchester called Solomon Grande and, uh, and Catherine, my ex-producer, her, um, her, her ex used to work there. She's got so many exes all over. The- really, I've never known a person with so many exes. She's not on this morning, is she? Oh, right. No, she's only got one or two exes. Only one or two. <laughs> she's been Caroline. OK. So, uh, so, so it was called Solomon. But who is Solomon Grundy? Was he just made up? Is it, is it a frightening poem? Is it, is it designed to frighten people to say, you know, if you're not careful? I don't know. I don't know. I would love to know. Love to know. I see that some uh, some Jedi jailbirds are in the paper today. Have you seen this one? This is a fascinating story. They're going to sue the prison service for failing to recognise their Star Wars-based religion. Grow up. Four inmates claim discrimination after the faith, followed by Obi-Wan Kenobi, was the seventh most popular UK religion. It comes after a lag complaint he was denied the right to follow Jediism. God, honestly, I mean, how stupid do you have to be? That's why they're in prison, because they're thick and they got caught. Anyway, uh, the inmate from, uh, from South London uh, wrote in the lags... Ma- they actually have a magazine inside there, probably colouring in, I suppose. I put in an application asking I be allowed to practice my religion freely. I am a Jedi. The written reply said, whilst Jedi is a recognised religion, according to the UK census, it is not recognised by the National Offender Management Service. This is an example of the kind of intolerance and religious bigotry faced by members of our faith. Please withhold my name as I fear re- uh, retaliation from the dark side. May the force be with you. I hope they do come and retaliate with you. I mean, how stupid you have to... Well, I mean, we'd be stupid, wouldn't we? We would be stupid to pay any compensation to somebody who said, I want to be a Jedi. Of course you do, dear. It's a film. I mean, who can seriously... I mean, what... Oh, God, I'm surrounded by lunatics, aren't we now? How much do couples spend preparing for their first child... I don't think they spend anything, do they? Why would you spend money preparing for a first, what, you like, sort of a nursery and, and stuff like that? Is that what people spend money on? You know, painting the room blue. Oh, God, now it's going to be a girl. We'll have to change the colour again. And then you've got to buy all the things. If you're Tamara Eccleston and you're a real old show-off, then what you have to do is you have to, you have, to have five different prams. There's only one baby, five different prams. Poor thing must be wondering where the hell it's walked into. Um, another one here, and this is from, uh, from Kevin, who says uh, it was the... Epping Onga Railway Saturday afternoon. Um, the Small Fakers, a Small Faces tribute group, Saturday evening. A good, solid rock group called Bleach, Sunday evening. Northfield Market yesterday. Quite glad to be back at work. I need the rest. Yes, I mean, I also... I also needed the rest after Easter. <laughs> I think you need something like that. You actually... You know, it was very tiring, wasn't it, for lots of people. 16 million cars on the road, you know, coming back from the Easter... Br- Where do people go? Kay Burley said she was going to the Cotswolds, I think, to go and visit friends. Probably takes her own duvet, I should imagine. She's that sort of person. I bet she took chocolate Easter eggs and pretended she bought them. Coming up, what does your postcode say about you? Ooh, that's an interesting one. LBC News Time, it's 5.15. <laughs> Solomon Grundy, Steve, is either a mid-19th century slaughterhouse worker or a, uh, or, uh, a DC comic evil villain with superhuman strength. It's interesting, though, isn't it, that we still do it? I was amazed that the producer had heard of it. Very strange. Uh, Steve, apparently a lot of the plague uh, bodies were buried in Golden Square under the grassland spaces of Blackheath. Well, it's a very desolate atmosphere. Yes, I mean, because when you think there were so many people that they had to bury at the time, they were trying to bury as quickly as possible. And so they did have, if you look at some of the pictures of some of the outfits people used to wear coming around, they would ring a bell. 
And they did say, bring out your dead. And so houses, you know, sometimes whole families went. It was uh, an absolutely terrible time. One in four people, one in four people, find those who are bright and cheery in the morning madden, madden, very annoying. <laughs> what a great word. Maddingly annoying. A happy smile and over-enthusiastic wave from friends and colleagues does not suit everybody. Britain's traditional grumpiness, characterised by, I don't believe it, Victor Meldrew, is at its height early in the day with 27% branded morning people annoying or irritating. Oh dear, I would like to think that my cheerfulness was not annoying or irritating. Among those most aggravating are those who adopt Americanism, such as, have a nice day, or over-familiar staff in coffee shops who call customers by their first name. So what name shall I put on there? Mildred. Mildred Mildred Okay, because it takes some ages to start learning how to spell these. I don't want my name on a coffee cup. I really don't want my name on a coffee cup. Uh, 29% of people admitted they are far from good company first thing. So I think I'm good. First thing in the morning, I think I'm okay. I'm not bouncing around like Tigger. But, you know, this is what I do for a living. I get paid for it. If I sort of came on and went, well, good morning, everybody. I'll come along to LBC. It'd be very boring. It'd be, it'd be like Adrian Childs. I know the accent was Adrian Childs because that's why he, he failed miserably in the morning because he's got a boring voice. Who wants to say? On the other hand, you don't want little Miss Chirpiness, and we don't want Susanna Reid either. We don't want Smiley Smiley Carol Smiley first thing in the morning because that's just even more irritating, even, especially when they ram how much they're earning down your throat. Uh, this, this is a poll by a bed company. I'm not going to tell you who it is because that's their free advert and they're not having it from me this morning. And so they say 8% of those people quiz say they regularly are late for work as they struggle to get up. I can't afford to struggle to get up. I cannot afford to struggle to get up. Can you imagine? You're terribly sorry. I do have this panic. I woke up early this morning and, and I looked at the... Well, in fact, it was last night. I woke up about quarter to 11 and I looked at the clock. I thought, quarter to, oh, I've got a couple of hours left yet. <laughs> that's nice. Quarter to 11, quarter to 12, quarter to 1. Yeah, I'm going up about that. So I, I, I dozed off back to sleep, and then I, and I woke up and I got panicky, thinking that I forgot to set the alarm clock, because I couldn't believe I'd slept for such a long time. But I obviously needed to catch up on my sleep, because today we've got Michaela Strachan to record for In Conversation, and then tomorrow I've got a meeting with the boss, very exciting, and, uh, and then I've got two interviews tomorrow. We've got uh, lovely Fern Britton, and we've got Paul Young as well, so it's going uh, to be quite a day tomorrow, <laughs> quite a day. Uh, another one here. Which says, um, just watching your Google Glass video, can't wait to try it. That's John in Surrey Keys. This is on the LBC website. If you've never heard of Google Glass, go, go, and, go and watch it. Go watch it. Go to lbc.co.uk. You can do it now. Don't have to be grown up to do this one. It can be appealed to anybody. And it's a new Google Glass. Can't buy it in this country yet. We got our hands on one. So, um,. Go and have a look at it. It's a little video we made the other week as I walked through Leicester Square to find the Hippodrome. It's not that I didn't know where the Hippodrome was, but we, th- we thought we'd sort of set it a task to see if it puts up a map. And blow me down, it puts up a map, which is very, very clever. Uh, Colin says, the BBC red button on the news says people who say they were sexually abused by Jimmy Savile are to be told how they can claim compensation through new adverts. Uh, yes, they are here. And you've got six weeks from the time of this advert, to get your claim in. So we found it in the mirror. It's the only daily paper that I appear to have found so far that is actually running the advert, unless I've missed it. So the mirror have got it. They think a load of local papers. But in fact, if you don't take a local paper and you don't know about this, you're never going to get any compensation, are you? So it's in the mirror for today. 24 minutes past five. 40,000 NHS hospital patients die of thirst 
every year. The toll, which is five times higher than expected, is due to avoidable kidney problems sparked by poor care. Many of the 3,000 deaths a month are simply from patients not being given enough to drink. You see, I would always make sure I had a bottle of water with me if I went into hospital again, which I might have to. And uh, one of them, there was a, a footballer in hospital, he dialed 999 from inside the hospital to request water. It, it was that desperate. I mean, his, his, his mother said that there was no communication between staff at all. He was having a hip replacement. He was only 22, or he is only 22, and he had to phone police from his hospital bed, desperate for a drink. When officers arrived at the hospital, nurses said he was in a confused state and sent them away. He died of dehydration hours later. Dear Lord. Dear Lord. And in 2012, Tracy Holmes told how she had to smuggle ice lollies into a ward to help her dying mother, Sandra. Nurses at the hospital in Redditch were said to have left Mrs. Aston so dehydrated her lips cracked and bled at 79. Last summer, a 100-year-old great-grandmother allegedly died from thirst because a water jug was broken. Linda Spleener went into the Leicester Royal Infirmary with a chest infection, but died four weeks later after a catastrophic error in care. Her family claimed they begged nurses to put her on a drip, but it took ten days and it was too late. That awful. I can't believe that a footballer dies at the age of, of 22. And also, people say, oh, he's in a confused state and sent them away. Almost as bad as that story I was telling you earlier on about the social worker who had a grievance against one of the people supposedly in her care and then claimed that he'd been abusing his six-year-old daughter. She turned out to have been a liar, which turns out in many cases, isn't it, from social workers, I'm afraid. I get a bit, a bit bored reading stories out about social workers who are very lapsed in their jobs. They don't seem to know exactly what they're doing. And, um, and uh, you know, a disaster ensues, in, in I'm afraid. In this particular case, she was fired, and he got £86,000 compensation. Uh, photographers and photographs published of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge relaxing on a day off have sparked a backlash last night. Viewers and readers accused two Australian television channels and a newspaper of invading the family's privacy. After Kensington Palace and the federal government had both asked media organisations not to run the pictures. I mean, for goodness sake, they're over here on a freebie, aren't they? You can have pictures taken all the time, but that was their rest day. You can have official pictures. Listen, loads of people are taking selfies now and doing pictures of the royal family. It'd be nice, of course, if they did something here, but uh, we kind of get sort of... We get sloppy seconds, don't we, in this country? They'd rather go and do a tour abroad. For what reason? We don't know. We don't know. Patricia says the father of that 12-year-old mother should be taken out and horsewhipped. Instead, he says he's proud of her. Well, what he said was... He said at least it's not drugs, which, of course, is... You know, two two great options at 12 years old, isn't it, in this country? Either come home with a needle stuck in your arm or have a baby. He obviously thinks having a baby is fantastic. I don't think either of them are preferable, but that's just my personal opinion on the uh, the lax standards of people nowadays where they seem to think it's OK at 12 to have a baby and she's going to get all the love and care she needs. No, she's not. She's going to be looked after by the mother, but not the mother because she's going back to school. So all the, all the great double acts, your favourite double act, for example, some of them at Brighton and Hove... Kensington and Chelsea, Keith Harris and Orville, Robson and Jerome, Posh and Becks, Saint and Greavesy, Burton and Taylor, Jack and Vera, Duckworth, Fortnum and Mason, Chaz and Dave, William and Kate, Strawberries and Cream, all good double acts these, Gin and Tonic, Wallace and Gromit, 
Rolls and Royce. Doesn't quite sound the same, does it? Uh, French and Saunders, Anton Deck. But looking towards the top, the two Ronnies. Good double act. Bacon and eggs. Great double act. You have to have toast with it as well, though, don't you? Morecambe and Wise, a number three, which I'm very delighted with. It's good. I think people should remember Morecambe and Wise. They were so much of an, an institution on British television. Uh, number two is Tea and Biscuits. And number one, your favourite double act, ladies and gentlemen, I give you fish and chips. And there's a lovely picture of it, because we told you the other day about a hundred-year-old man who um, eats fish and chips every day, and he's got to be a hundred. Eats fish and chips every day. It sounds absolutely gorgeous, doesn't it? And if you look at a picture of this fish and chips on the plate, there's something about batter, isn't there? Who ever invented batter? Where did that come from? Absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and somebody says, didn't Solomon Grundy interview the Sex Pistols on Thames in the 70s? If only. It was Reg Grundy, wasn't it? Was it Reginald? No, I can't remember who it was now. Who was it? The Grundy. But I remember watching it. I remember watching it. He wasn't happy at all that day. <laughs> Bill, Bill Grundy. He was having a bit of a mare of a day because, thank you, he, um, who, did, who knew that one? Lisa Aziz knew that one. Oh, she would. She's of that age. She would remember, see, Lisa and I, I mean, she's a lot younger than I am, but she would remember that. She's got a better memory retention, whereas my memory is losing itself completely. And he was, he was supposed to have done a classical interview, but they gave him the, um, the sex pistols. And he encouraged them because they were known, the punks, for saying things. And so he had a whole studio of people. He was a bit po-faced about it. It sealed his fate, I'm afraid, because when they said something rude and uh, one of the girls then said, he said, go on, say something else. So, of course, she did, and that was what freaked everybody. I was watching it at home thinking, oh, you've gone down the wrong route here. You've gone down the wrong route. Uh, still to come on the uh, the programme, using your phone whilst driving. It turns out a lot of you still are. LBC News Time, 5.30. Morning, everybody. 27 minutes to 6. It's LBC. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast. If you've got a bit of money lying around and you think about buying a bit of memorabilia, and you're fascinated, as everybody is, in the Titanic. I have just the thing for you, John, this morning. It's coming up for sale uh, on Friday in Devizes in Wiltshire. What is it? It's a Titanic menu. A Titanic menu. Uh, this one, uh, which was uh, for breakfast in second class on April the 11th, 1912. Three days before the liner hit the iceberg. And we're still never too sure, are we? It was scraped along the side, and obviously then opened the gap. They couldn't close the doors quick enough. Uh, around 20 Titanic menus exist, but only two are for second class, because uh, more first-class passengers survived. Only 7% of male second-class passengers lived. And uh, this one here uh, is for breakfast. I can tell you what, what they're offering. I can read it. Um, rolled oats, fruit... Something called boiled hominy. I've no idea what hominy is. No idea, but you were getting it here. Boiled hominy. Uh, fresh fish. This is for breakfast. Oh, disgusting. Uh, Yarmouth bloaters. Grilled ox kidneys. And bacon. American dry hash au gratin. Oh, right, we found out what hominy is. Oh, dear. It's cooked hominy. It's dries, dried male maize kernels, which have been treated with an alkaline, a process called nixtamalisation. Lovely. That's for breakfast, is it? Oh, dear. That's dreadful. Have you got anything normal here? Oh, good. Grilled sausages, mashed potatoes for breakfast. Uh, grilled ham and fried eggs, fried potatoes, Vienna and 
Graham Rolls, soda scones, buckwheat cakes, maple syrup, and then uh, conserves, marmalade, tea, coffee, watercress. I don't know why you'd want watercress. I'm just amazed that for breakfast they'd be having fish, but I suppose, you know, <laughs> this didn't seem a bad menu, did it? I'd have it all. Do you think it was a buffet? That you were able to sort of have a little bit of just about everything. I like that idea. I'm, I'm in favour of that one, ladies and gentlemen. Definitely in favour of that one. Um, very quickly, let me just have a look at the front page of the... Um, front page of the Mirror this morning. Now, let's have, a, let's have a look at the front page of the... Oh, seem to have two copies of the Mirror. Uh, the front page of the, the Daily Star. Moyes, they say, is toast. They say it could be, uh, it could be going today. The curse of Susanna Reid... The curse of the money that they've talked about, which, of course, makes everybody feel a little bit little bit uh, ill. And Jeremy Clarkson has sparked a race row. He's named his black pup Didier Dogper. I mean, is that, is that racist? I don't know. The Top Gear host revealed on Twitter yesterday he'd named the dog after the ex-Chelsea striker Drogba. Blues fan Clarkson dismissed claims it was racist, insisting he worshipped the ace. He moaned, why is it racist to name our amazing, brilliant dog after a footballer? But unimpressed follower, Mukhtar Mubarak, replied, Come on, Jeremy, you know why. I don't know why. I don't know why at all. He then, of course, he'd shared with his 3.25 million online fans a snap of his three white dogs, then posted a shot of the black pooch, adding, This is the latest addition to the pack. It's called Didier Dogba. Sammy Kadira immediately hit back, said, you racist so-and-so. Honestly, people just band it around now, don't they? While Milo added, Jeremy Clarkson being racist again. And Pavel fumed, casual racism, you should be ashamed of yourself. Do people take everything so seriously nowadays? Some people need to get out and get a life, don't they? It's all a little bit tragic, I'm afraid. <laughs> he gets into trouble again. Didn't he come up with some years ago? I remember Nick Ferrari talking about a gay car. There was a car he thought was a gay car. Well, it wasn't pink, it was just a gay car. I don't know why. Richard says, how can anybody prove they were abused by Jimmy Savile decades ago when they never complained officially when he was alive? I think any money-changing hand should go to children's charities. Well, I don't know how they're going to prove it either. I don't know. It's, it's fine for people to come forward and say, yes, something happened to me years ago, but it's, it's the proof, isn't it? And that's why, presumably presumably, they're going to have to check and say, well, you said this happened, where did that happen? And they will then collate and say, well, actually, that couldn't have happened because he wasn't even there at that time. So that's when people start changing stories. I mean, there will be probably some who slip through the net. But I think it's, it's the proof. How do you prove that something happened? Uh, the Jedi religion, says Wobbert, is no more stupid than any other religions. Well, it's, it's ridiculous. It's made up. It's modern, isn't it? It's pretend. It's a little film. It's a film about Jedi. Well, it's Star Wars, isn't it? It doesn't exist. It doesn't actually exist. Whereas, you know, the other bit you can probably prove existed to a certain extent. But that's why it's based on religion. But, I mean, Jediism is for loonies, isn't it? It's people who want to go out. When we had a thing in Leicester Square, lots of people dressed up as stormtroopers. Well, they're mad as fruitcakes, aren't they? That's like when you see weddings. There was a wedding a short while ago where everybody had to dress up as the cast of Shrek. And you think, that's because they're mad. They're mad as fruitcakes. So if you want to dress up as a, as a Jedi knight, you're mad. It's not your fault. It's probably because of something missed. Perhaps you were dropped on your head as a baby. I don't know. But uh, it is slightly odd. Uh, 84850. Ian says the Google glasses will spell disaster as soon as drivers start using them while driving. Well, to be honest with you, it wouldn't make any difference. And I know that seems a rather a rather strange thing to say. But you can look through them. This It's, it's not... Uh, 
It's only on one side. You're looking at the screen. It appears to be in the middle. But you can see perfectly normally. I could, I could see them. If, if you look at the film on the LBC website, I can walk through Leicester Square. I don't bump into people. I can see quite clearly what's going on. And I can see the actual thing. So, in fact, effectively, you could, you could, we thought of all sorts of applications for it. All sorts of applications whereby you could, um, you could actually sort of sit at the back of a quiz and you could get the answers because it will give you answers. So that, I think, would be very good. I'm not buying this story of the boy, says Tom. In the wheel well of the flight to Hawaii, there's something fishy about it. There's no way you can survive for five hours without oxygen and minus 60 degrees. Does seem swelly. That's what they said. I mean, otherwise, how would he get there? How would he get there? Oh, wait a minute. Lettuce is in the paper again. Lettuce Rose Rowbottom. Uh, okay, you know, like playing my violin. Um, she's stripped off for a, for a model snap. I don't know whether or not it's good or bad for her, but she impressed the other judges with her violin playing. Oh, there's millions. Ask anybody in an orchestra. Can you play the violin? Yep. What's so interesting about her posh totty, and she's called Lettuce, and that's about as far as it goes, I'm afraid. Uh, Blur star Damon Albarn says using heroin was part of him growing up. Yes. Oh, well, there you go. Corey star Kim Marsh's little sister has launched an attack on her love rival, Stephanie Waring, calling her a jealous bitch. Tracy March... Also labelled Hollyoaks babe Stephanie a desperate cow for fuming over Kim's romance with her ex Dan Hooper. Nothing worse than when the non-talented sister gets in on the act. That's not very interesting, is it? At all. Uh, Susanna Reid will alienate viewers because of her massive salary. Who says? Nick Owen. He reckons audiences will no longer relate to her because she's getting a huge pay packet. I absolutely agree. We've said that the programme's doomed from disaster. I think one of the bookies is taking bets on how many months it'll last before they have to revamp. Why do they think paying somebody a million pounds to be on the television is beyond me? She doesn't actually have any talent apart from being able to read an auto cue. Ben Shepherd will have to sit there being the handbag. And, um, and all the people that we liked, you know, they've already dropped Ben Shepherd once from this programme because he was so in love with himself. Now you've got two people so in love with themselves. Even more irritating. Even more irritating. I did mention, didn't I, that there's going to be... that Daniela Westbrook was thinking about a reality show for her and her ghastly children and her little toy boy boyfriend at the moment, who's about half her age, and they've been going out two months. And she says it'll be, um, it'll be very interesting because we're a very funny family. Never seen any evidence of Daniela Westbrook being funny, I'm afraid. Uh, Michelle Keegan, uh, leaving a, a nightclub in Colchester. That was her appearance, so that's good. I see, see the acting works flooding in, Michelle. Nice to know that Shakespeare's around the corner, isn't it, really? Not. Uh, a lot of other people aren't buying the story of the, the boy in the wheel well on the flight to Hawaii. It does seem a lot. At minus 62 degrees. It does seem a lot, doesn't it? And he lost consciousness. And also, when the wheels opened... He was still stuck up there as opposed to falling out. How does that work? There's also some people being investigated in the marathon uh, for apparently doing it in a slightly faster time than they thought was possible. There was one old old boy and he says, well, I didn't know you had to check in at all these different places. And they said, well, you, you have to. You have to sort of touch base. So they, they sort of tick your card, I think, as you're going through. And uh, he said, well, I, that's the time I did it in. He did it in three and a half hours or something, which seems particularly good for an old boy. But uh, he's one of a number of people being investigated because they just, they don't believe it. They're a little bit sceptical. That's the word we have to use nowadays. They're a little bit sceptical that somebody could actually run the marathon that fast. They think they might have cheated. But, you know, we shall wait and find out, shall we? On the subject of the Titanic menu... 
Uh, the auction takes place on Saturday, and although I will be bidding on three items, the second-class menu is not one of them. I must admit, says John, I'm a bit of a menu snob, and I only collect first-class. Oh, d- did I mention the price? I didn't mention the price they would think it was going to go for. £80,000. £80,000. There's probably photocopies of it doing the rounds already, I should imagine. I would like to do that. I would like to do that. Uh, 84850... Steve at lbc.co.uk. Uh, another one here. Uh, somebody who was on A&E yesterday. At 10.30, I could hear a nurse talking to a, a lady in the next bay. From what I could hear, she'd been there since midday Saturday after being returned to her local care home that day and was offered breakfast. Just before I was transferred at 2.39, a nurse was heard saying, you've not had that cup of tea yet, have you? Despite fighting for breath, I struggled round to her. Her lips were dried and cracked and she was upset. And so I got her a plastic cup of water. So there you go. Thank goodness I've got plenty of friends, says this person here, uh, who want to come and visit me. Yes, lots of people don't have plenty of friends in hospital, do they? Um, Hominy, grits. That's what they are on the Titanic menu. Oh, grits. Oh, did you ever have grits? God, that's a boring thing ever. Dreadful. Uh, speaking of great pairs and duos, Gilbert and Sullivan, hello. One never sees productions here anymore. I'm about your age, what, 39? And Gilbert and Sullivan Productions were done on every street corner, every amateur drama club. Uh, have Gilbert and Sullivan become extinct over there? The death of culture? No. No, no, we're still doing... I am the very model of a modern major general. I've information, vegetable, animal and mineral. I quote the kings of England. Oh, sorry, I know the kings of England and I quote the facts historical from Marathon to Waterloo in order categorical. How they ever sang these things at the same time, I've got no idea. Michael Schumacher, as he lies in a coma, is being sued... By somebody who had an accident. Uh, An unnamed Spanish man claims that Schumacher knocked him off his motorcycle after failing to give way at a roundabout. He wants compensation for a broken wrist and damage to his watch, clothes and motorbike. Uh, Schumacher's been named in the complaint along with the firm that hired him, the Audi A4 he was driving, and its insurers. Well, he's in a coma at the moment, so you're not going to get much out of him, are you? I don't know. Some people are just so daft, ladies and gentlemen, you can't believe it. LBC News Time, it's 5.45. Morning, every 12 minutes to uh, 6 is the time. This man of 74. And the reason I, I mention him is because it does seem a little bit surprising in the London Marathon. His name is Frank Staples. He's 74. He said he's not a cheat. Let me tell you that he chugged round the first half of the 26-mile course in three and a half hours. Okay, that's the first half of the course. He did the second 13 miles in one hour and 14 minutes, which was just under what Paula Radcliffe did it in. And to be honest with you, I think somebody's made a mistake. Um, Last week, the Sun told how a personal trainer was being probed after finishing the second part of the race faster than Mo Farah. Neither at official times recorded at markers between halfway and the finish Fueling speculation, they jumped over barriers and cut a huge section of the race route out. Last night, Mr Staples denied cheating and blamed a technological error for his finishing time of four hours, 39 minutes and 57 seconds. He said a cheat? Good God, no, I don't remember there being mats to record time. I can't explain it, but it's not my fault. And a spokesman for the London Marathon says uh, we are investigating a number of runners' times and discrepancies. I love the idea that a pensioner... So he's done 13 miles in um, three and a half hours, and then the second 13 miles, where he's really falling apart, he does in one hour and 14 minutes. It's just not physically possible. Not for a 74-year-old who looks as though he's about to drop dead, I'm afraid. (laughs) 
poor soul. Honestly, why do pe- people do it? I have seen people cheating before, but only in films, not, not really in real life. You don't see that kind of thing very often, do you? Although it'd be funny if it was. It would be very, very funny. Um, the man who fell off a fifth-floor balcony impaling himself on a lamppost is miraculously on the mend in China. That was a bit unfortunate, wasn't it? Oh, dear, they were worse. That would frighten the life out of most people. Uh, and there is lots of, um, lots of pictures in the paper today of a few people trying to enjoy the little bit of sunshine we got yesterday. It wasn't a huge bit of sunshine, and there was an awful lot of... Um, a sort of rain around, but there again it was predicted. Shame for the showman. The showman of the funfair fame didn't do very well. I should imagine they were sitting there thinking, oh, well, it ne- why don't we just move east and let's have it later in the year so it's, it's nicer, much nicer weather-wise. Uh, weather today, cooler and cloudier. Rain or showers. Murky start this morning at uh, nine minutes to six. Lots of low cloud and mist, coupled with spells of rain across the south, becoming generally brighter in the afternoon. The high is 15 degrees centigrade, which is cooler than yesterday. At the moment, it's about uh, eight or nine. So cold on Sunday. I couldn't believe how cold Sunday was. Showers tonight will gradually die away. However, mist and fog patches may follow towards dawn. Tomorrow, drier and brighter than today because it's Tuesday. I remind you it's Tuesday because you might be thinking, as I did yesterday, that yesterday was, uh, was Sunday and today is Monday. But no, tomorrow is Wednesday. Early mist or fog clearing to sunny spells, although there is a risk of further sharp, perhaps thundery showers, especially in the west later. High tomorrow, 18 degrees. And then Thursday running through Saturday for you, ladies and gentlemen. An unsettled and showery end of the week, although showers generally easing to leave the best sunny spells on Friday, most likely then becoming wetter and windier into the weekend. You can't, honestly, I just give up in this country. Can we just have some... It would be nice... It would be nice to, to actually have some decent weather. Although I'm, I'm, I'm not particularly bothered. I have been on record as saying I don't mind it when it rains. I'm quite happy with it when it rains. I just don't want to get wet. Uh, Andrew says uh, Sky News have just described Peaches Geldof as a star. I don't think so. Oh, no, she absolutely wasn't a star. I mean, a star is... I don't, know, well, I don't know what the dictionary definition of a star is. Nowadays, we have media personalities... Media person. These are people created either by television or by, not so much radio, but more by the newspapers. So you'll read in the TV biz columns about poor old Vicky Patterson from Geordie Shaw, a rather tacky, low-rent sort of person, that uh, this was the one who's... She thought her TV career was over uh, after attacking a model in a club. She dodged jail. I mean, she's just quite clearly not a very nice person, but was given a community order and had to pay more than £6,000 after throwing her stiletto at Hannah Kiso. And so now she's appearing on another news show, X on the Beach. She's tacky, she's low rent, she's not a particularly gifted person. So that would be uh, somebody who the papers might go, oh, she's a star, or the star of The Only Way is Essex. There's no stars on there, just a lot of silly little show-offs who are past their sell-by date. That's all it comes down to. And we bandy the word around, so Peaches Geldof was not a star. Not in the true sense of the word. She was just somebody who'd been on television a few times, and had she not been Peaches Geldof and carried the Geldof name, she wouldn't even have made it onto television, I'm afraid. Uh, Margaret says, Stowaways, over the last uh, years, two men have dropped out when the plane's landing gear was lowered, approaching Heathrow. Uh, one landed on the old gasworks in Mortlake, the other nearby on a car. You can't survive the low temperatures and lack of oxygen. Yes, that's the, that's the strange thing, isn't it? That's why they're disputing, well, some people are, whether this lad was actually on this flight. So he, he has an argument with his parents in California, goes to the local airport, goes on a Jumbo 747, so he manages to walk across the tarmac to a Jumbo 747. Nobody said anything. 
And you know what security is like at airports. They can find, you know, a needle in a haystack. And so he walks across, he stands on the wheels, nobody sees him, and he then climbs up into the housing. Now, when these wheels fold up, they're, they're folding up to fit into a space. He must have looked at it and thought, well, how does it fit in there? Where is the space where I can stay? Because w- you wouldn't know, would you? If this thing, There's no way you're going to be going, stop it, stop, because nobody's going to hear you. So he does that. It all closes. So he's then in there with the wheels for five and a half hours with no water, no nothing apart from a comb, and he becomes unconscious. The temperature drops to minus 62 degrees. Well, I don't know if you've ever been in minus 62, but I suspect you probably wouldn't survive very long. So minus 62 degrees. He's not, he's not wearing anything particularly. He's not, not is it wearing layers and layers of clothing. And then when he gets to the other end, he's still unconscious. The landing gear comes down. He does not fall out. But an hour later, after this has, this has landed and taxied and done whatever, he then slowly climbs down and wanders around the runway until the security men pick him up. <laughs> Doesn't sound very likely, does it? Perhaps they're going to have to start putting cameras in the landing gear on aeroplanes now to make sure that people... We have had cases of people falling out. Because one minute you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, just, oh, just make a phone call or something like that. I mean, the noise must be astronomical. I can't even begin to think how awful it must be there. Terrible. Uh, apparently, kedgery is very good. I've never had kedgery. I don't think I've ever had kedgery, I'm afraid. Uh, my mama had a hip replacement, Stephen, was found on the hospital floor a few days later. Doctors said they, uh, they meet once a month to discuss such incidents. Yes, well, I mean, I th- well, they would have to, wouldn't they? It would have to be logged by somebody. And uh, all the money to go on the Titanic, Stephen, they didn't even have chicken wings or burgers on the menu. It's funny what was on the menu for second class, isn't it? You know, there was nothing on there. I mean, you, you could have bacon and uh, eggs, or you could have sausages and mash. You see, I'd, I'd rather hash browns, but they're offering grits. Sounds disgusting, I'm afraid. Not the kind of thing that, uh, that I would ever want. Um, a lot of people talking about the Cliff Richard story, which made the papers the other day. After Cliff Richard did an interview in Australia, he obviously still goes to Australia to tour, and they asked him about the gay rumours, and he then said, would it make any difference if I, was, if I was gay? Would people stop coming to my concerts? And I thought, mm, I shouldn't think so. Why would, why would it bother people? I mean, I'm quite sure that all the people who go to Cliff concerts aren't seriously thinking that they're going to go there and have a, have a fling with him. But uh, that's, that's the way it came over. And Peter Hill, writing in the paper today, says, uh, it's taken Cliff Richard a lifetime to mention the G word. Would it matter if he were to say he's gay, he asked an interviewer. Well, no is the short answer. So why didn't he answer the question? He said, I think I know. And he said, it's because I think Sir Cliff thinks and always has that it's no business of ours. And again, he would be right. But of course, people ask it. If you're in the media, they want to know. You know, would that help? They always say oh, it helps other people coming out. I remember when Stephen Gately came out. And uh, mainly because he was forced by a newspaper. The newspaper were going to print, uh, print a story about him being gay. And, and uh, that kind of forced him out. So it was a little bit, little bit underhanded, I'm afraid. And so then Tom Daly came out and we went, yeah, right. You know, it's like certain people come out and you go, yeah, OK, it's not really a big surprise, is it, anymore? We don't... Nobody's really that impressed by it. And it's only because Cliff Richard is 73, lives with a man who's a former Jesuit priest who looks after the, the property around the world. You know, we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. And to be honest with you, I don't think it would make any difference. But it's only that Cliff said that in the generation he came from, you know, he didn't want his mother to read stuff like that. Why? I don't know. I don't know how it ever came about. There must have been something, mustn't there, that sort of somebody said, oh... 
you know, Cliff Richard, oof, might be. And you think, why? What difference would it make? I'm sure that the fans would still go to the, uh, to the concerts. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Thank you to everybody for telling me about, about Kedgery. I'm just, I'm just a bacon and eggs person, I'm afraid. I don't do uh, anything apart from, kedge, uh, apart from uh, bacon and eggs for bread. Toast. Toast would be nice, but I'm trying to stay away from um, anything that is remotely bloating. I'd like nice quality bread. I keep meaning to go and get some good quality bread. There's loads of really good bakeries around at the moment who bake their own bread, and it's good. It's not the mass-produced supermarket bread. Uh, good news. Bumper crop of strawberries this year. You're going to get the best strawberries you've ever had because conditions ideal. In other words, lots of sunny weather, the right dash of rain and no gales to wreck the crops. One pick-your-own-grower, Norman Parry of Swindon, says hopes are high for a bumper year. As it stands, everything's on track and I would hope to open either at the end of May or the start of June. And, well, here we are in April. I've been eating strawberries for, for days and weeks now. He said, but anyway, he said, despite the floods, it was a very mild winter. You would normally expect the season to come a bit earlier, so we're looking this year for a really good season. So I'm expecting, ladies and gentlemen, lots and lots of cheap strawberries very soon. Still plenty more to come on the Steve Allen Early Morning Breakfast Show before handing over to Lisa Aziz with the morning news at 6.30 and Nick Ferrari back at 7. Here are just a few of the stories. Always together, the Sun's headline reporting on the funeral of Peaches Geldof under a photograph of her coffin which was painted with family portraits. That's also the lead for the star. The Mirror, more on the future of the Man United manager David Moyes who's apparently about to be sacked by the club. His picture's also on the front of the Telegraph which looks back on what went wrong during his nine-month reign. The paper leads on the NHS figures, which show at least a 1,000 patients are dying needlessly each month from kidney failure. All of that and much more, your texts and emails. From LBC, I'm Steve Allen. That's all next. This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. So, uh, it's the front pages of the papers in the final 25 minutes of the programme this morning. And it's uh, the funeral of Peaches Geldof. Ironically, lots of pictures of the celebrities who were there, including the uh, uh, looming figure of Sarah Ferguson. Couldn't quite work out what sort of her friendship was there. Uh, the Mirror report on the future of Man United manager David Moyes, who's apparently about to be sacked by the club. And the NHS figures on the front of the Telegraph showing a 1,000 patients dying needlessly each month from kidney failure and then 3,000 people dying uh, through lack of water, which is absolutely unbelievable. All of that and more from LBC this morning. It's Tuesday, incidentally. You've had Easter. OK. Also, uh, death soaring on the roads, I'm afraid, as lights are turned off. The amount of times I've been on a motorway, driving down, and cars go past with no lights on. And I'm not sure if people are deliberately driving with no lights on, or feeling that they don't know how to turn them on. Or they think they're on in the first place. Some cars have them on all the time. I think Volvos have lights on all the time. And I think that's because most of the... Um, most of the uh, the people driving them are in, you know, if you're in Norway or somewhere like that, they have a lot of months of the year where it's dark, so they've brought this thing in. I have a thing whereby if I, I can flick a switch on the car and if the light level drops below a certain level, then uh, it turns the lights on for me. 
which is very interesting. I don't know why I mentioned that. Actually, it's the stupidest thing I've ever seen on a car in my life. Uh, so there's lots of people now. Road casualty tolls have increased by 20% in unlit areas. So perhaps this is lights that aren't necessarily on the cars being turned on and off, but perhaps it's street lighting. Because sometimes, I mean, I hate driving down the motorway when there is no street lighting. And in fact, if you drive out of London on the M4, you get as far as Slough, and then all of a sudden the lights vanish. And if you're, if you're slightly tired, and motorway driving can be quite tiring, I tend to find that if you, if you are driving down the motorway late at night and you're feeling a little bit weary, you need some chewing gum. And the reason you need chewing gum is so that you, it, for some reason, it kind of wakes you up. Either that or an apple. Bits of apple work for me, or celery, or tomatoes, or anything. Because that, that never-ending, watching the white line whizzing past the car, oh, just drives you berserk. So that's, uh, that's why... They're now saying that deaths are soaring on roads which were unlit. And, of course, if we're out in the countryside, there's, uh, there's every chance that you've got no lights at all. No lights at all, which is uh, terribly worrying. Uh, 83850, steve at lbc.co.uk. We shall weave uh, everything in this morning. Uh, El Santa, apparently the best variety, says Margaret. I bought 18 plants in bud the other day. Why not grow them in your hanging baskets? I've got... Um, strawberries in my hanging baskets because it's been so wet i haven't managed to put the lobelia in at the same time but i will get round to uh, to doing the lobelia uh, another one here talking about silly names we, this woman who was on the britain's got talent called lettuce robotum perhaps it's not pronounced lettuce perhaps it's perhaps it's got a different pronunciation <laughs> i just don't i can't understand why anybody ever want to call a child lettuce it just seems quite odd to me unless you're into peter rabbit <laughs> something like that uh, another one here and uh, this is uh, apparent lettuce from Agatha Christie's Murder at the Vicarage, says Sharon. Well, it's actually, but you, see, you would expect that from Agatha Christie, wouldn't you? It's a very old-fashioned name. I would expect somebody to be called lettuce, but not in this day and age. Not a 23-year-old, I'm afraid. Front pages of the papers. This is what you're, uh, what you're waking up to. Always together. That's the Sun's headline, reporting on the funeral of Peaches Geldof. They've got a coffin. It's a painted coffin. They've been obviously quite... Um, quite good with the people who went to the funeral because they obviously said to them, listen, we would rather you didn't discuss the funeral outside of this church. And, you know, nobody has. They've all known that they were there for a reason and they've been very discreet. So the press were trying to ask people what was it like and they just said it was very nice, thank you. We don't want to say any more about it. And so that was that. I think all the girls stood up and said something. And I think Bob said something. But you'll never know because nobody's going to talk about it. And so on the uh, the coffin, you can have these done now. It's uh, It's been painted. It's a picture of um, her and the two dogs and their cat and uh, all sorts of things. And, their, you know, her husband and the two kids as well. And so that's painted on there. And that's what they wanted. It's one of those sort of ecological... I thought it was going to be a Jewish service, but I, I don't think I suppose it could be in that church there. Anyway, that's the, the lead for the star as well this morning. They've done all the same thing, and then we sort of saw pictures of Sarah Ferguson arriving, because apparently her girls knew Peaches Geldof. How? I've got no idea. How? I've got no idea. They're not even in the same sort of classes or anything like that. And ironic that uh, neither of the girls, Sarah Ferguson's children, were there at the funeral. One was sunning herself on holiday, and the other one was nowhere to be seen. you think they could have made it back for somebody's funeral that was a- apparently a friend, but not so. So everybody said, oh, Mum, do you want to go? And so off she toddled. Uh, the Mirror has uh, more on the future of the Man United manager, David Moyes, who's apparently about to be sacked by the club. I don't know why. I, I don't follow football enough, but they're, they're now saying that uh, he could walk out with 
£10 million. They get paid a huge lot of money, don't they? I'm not surprised these football clubs are so rich. They band it around, you know, the footballers earn a small fortune, and who pays for it? The fans, by the sound of it. Every time they change a strip, there's more millions in the coffers. So all the, all the papers are talking about the fact that he, uh, he could go... The Mirror think it's a £5 million payoff. Either way, you're kind of set up for life. Uh, the stand-in boss could be Ryan Giggs... Lord, is he still? I can't believe he's still there. Does Ryan Giggs still play football? He's a bit old, isn't he, for things like that now? And somebody called Louis Van Gaal. Is it? Sorry? Louis Van Hull. Oh, right. In the frame for the top job. It's, it's spelt Gaal, is it? But it's Hull. Oh, right, you think so? Well, exactly. We'll, we'll find out a little bit later on. Uh, Sarah Lancashire, the ex Coronation Street actress, she's been on uh, uh, an in conversation with me, has hit out at the prejudice that soap stars face in the TV industry. So if you're listening, Michelle Keegan, this will be for you as well. There was a great book written by Hilary Kingsley, I keep talking about it, it might not even be in print anymore, called Life After Soap. And it turned out for many people, there was no life after soap. Uh, There was in Last of the Summer Wine, because uh, Jean Alexander, Hilda Ogden, popped up in that one, and loads of other people. But mainly for people walking out of a soap, there is very little chance of you ever working again because you're so associated with a particular character. Look at poor old Helen Flanagan. Couldn't be arrested now. So she has to sort of do the, the lads' magazines because that's the only source of income. And very soon that will dry up because there'll be other people. Uh, Sarah Lancashire played blonde barmaid Raquel for six years and said some writers and producers feel you will low, lower the currency of their work if you've been one in one. Yet soaps have fostered some extraordinary talent. You have to rise above it. But there's no such thing as a soap actor. We're all just actors. I don't know. Has, Ke- has William Roach ever done anything apart from, from Coronation Street? He seemed to go in at a very, very early age. So I would think that there would be people who are soap stars, because we banded them around. You can always tell on the Strictly Come Dancing thing, they'll drag up somebody from Hollyoaks, like Yorgie Porter will do the Dancing on Ice or whatever it happens to be, and we'll go, oh, right, who is she? And they go, oh, she was in Hollyoaks, or she was in Brookside, or some obscure soap. Oh, right. Because nobody's got any idea at all. And they call them stars, and then, unfortunately, the people start believing they're stars. And so then you get the the tantrums. Um, The Mirror, as I say, talking about David Moyes, but his picture's on the front of the Telegraph, which looks back at what went wrong during his nine-month reign. They lead on the NHS figures, which show at least a 1,000 patients are dying needlessly each month. From kidney failure. Uh, the male borrowers will face a forensic probe into their personal finances, part of a crackdown that's planned on vetting people taking out mortgages. There's obviously some sort of uh, some sort of skullduggery going on, I think, in the mortgage department. Thank goodness I haven't borrowed any money recently. They're always being offered money. I'm always being, you know, would you like to do this? Have this now. Don't don't wait till tomorrow. Whereas I would actually um, I would just sort of rather save up for something. Uh, Patricia Wallington and loads of other people have said, uh, Steve, why call a child lettuce? Just cos. Okay, just... Okay, sometimes we'll have to explain some of the, uh, the jokes. Uh, Andy tells us there's a broken-down car as you exit the northbound Blackwall Tunnel just, just before the A13 turn-off. And, uh, one thing that gets me is the drivers that don't return to the left-hand lane after overtaking on a motorway. Mostly private hire drivers heading towards Heathrow in the morning. Well, to catch that early morning flight, ladies and gentlemen, that's when you're going to get... I think the first one from America is in about, is it 5.15, 6.15, something like that, so people get up there in time in time for that flight. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk, 
Hello. Welcome to Tuesday. I say welcome to Tuesday because I'm, I, I'm getting slightly confused by the days. I got very confused yesterday where I thought I was doing In Conversation yesterday without realising that, in fact, it was Monday and we'd already had In Conversation. <laughs> Sorry about that. First arrival at Heathrow this morning was 4.46. Thank you very much indeed. And Kay in Dartford thinks uh, Lettuce Nolies, who we think was a lady-in-waiting to Elizabeth I. Because I just think it's such an unusual name. This is the girl who's appeared on Britain's Got Talent, and she's called Lettuce. I just don't understand why anybody would ever be called Lettuce, but there you go, that's just me, isn't it? Uh, More on pensions in the Express this morning. They say millions of retired people may have to live on less than the minimum wage. Uh, The Guardian looks ahead to a speech by the former Prime Minister, Gordon Brown. He's expected to talk about Scottish independence later, warning pensioners they'll be better off if they remain part of the UK. Apparently it's pronounced Georgie, not Yorgie. Or Yorkie, Yorgie, I mean, who cares? According to the Independent, scientists have used a new technique to cure a genetic disease in living adult animals for the first time. Well, look, that is. I should have read that story. And the Times looks at the crisis in Ukraine and says Britain's to lead international efforts to stop Russia from holding the world to ransom with its vast energy supplies. And the FT says energy companies are to be given the freedom to frack for shale gas under private land. Uh, don't forget, we have a, a free podcast for you up today. Haven't had one for a couple of days because we've been uh, doing the Easter collection. And so today we'll have all sorts of people that you've never heard of, but that makes it far more entertaining, including the uh, the somewhat peculiar boy band Five. This is the one that has little Richie Neville in it. And uh, they weren't much cop first time round, but because of the big reunion boy band UK tour, which I think will be the last time you ever see them, unfortunately, poor abs... Is, uh, is unable to make the big reunion tour. They don't say why, they just say for personal reasons. I suppose somebody's taking him to one side to teach him how to speak English. Because he used to be able to speak English, now all of a sudden he's come up with this phrase. He told the Daily Star, I definitely haven't left the group, all is gravy with me and the boys. I mean, what idiot speaks like that? Apparently it's a throwback to the 80s. It means it's okay. I understand what it means. It means it's okay. All is gravy. Where this poor little child has learnt to speak. I've got no idea. They call him uh, a singer and a rapper. I think not, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, we are still together and five aren't splitting up. Bit of a disappointment, isn't it? So you've got to put up with Richie with his little glasses on, who's now apparently got, is it Natasha Richardson pregnant? So that's marvellous. So he'll need to get a job somewhere to try and support her. I wouldn't actually hold too much. Um, um, One here, he couldn't, uh, he, he, he hasn't told us why He's leaving, uh, for personal reasons, this tour. I, don't, I can't think of any, any reason, unless there's some illness or something in the family, but they're not saying what it is. Um, also, the, the band performed in Torquay at the Riviera International Centre, so going well so far, as they say. Going so well. Sarah says she's called Lettuce because she's a little gem. We've had all the jokes, haven't we? We've had all the jokes. Uh, the other groups who are appearing in this, this get-together, the other people appearing in this get-together, um, Fifth Story... Never even heard of. Damage. A1, I think. Uh, 3T, never heard of them. Blue and 911. What a ghastly lineup. Sounds absolutely dreadful. Uh, we've got a story about Michael Ball as well coming up in the programme. Michael Ball looking very comfy in a very nice top. I must get one of these tops, actually. Um, because each week on his show, he collates Singer's Hall of Fame, celebrating their amazing achievements. So he's, been, uh, he's been doing his radio. He likes doing radio. He's very good at doing radio. I should worry a little bit. Actually, somebody who's not very good at sort of creeping up on lions is a poor little warthog who was uh, wandering through uh, an elephant park in Eastern Cape, South Africa, the Addo 
Elephant Park, and somebody just happened to be filming a lion, and the lion was sort of sitting there, looking as lions do, a little bit sort of bored, a little bit tired. They get, uh, they get very, very world-weary lions. And all of a sudden, out of the bushes comes this, this warthog, this little warthog, and it walks straight into the lion's. The lion, of course, is going, I can't believe it. And as the warthog goes, oh, God, and turns round, the lion puts out one paw and bang, fells him to the ground and unfortunately eats him, which uh, isn't so good. And it reminds me, I was watching again a David Attenborough programme. I get very depressed when you see these killer whales chasing other whales. And this was a mother and calf. And they were, they were chasing it, and they, they pursued it for miles, and eventually they actually got it. All very, very depressing. Nick Ferrari's back this morning at seven. And as teachers vote to go on strike again this summer, Nick will be asking, is it fair that they hold our schools to ransom? Uh, plus, he'll be asking the author of a new book on dyslexia, why he believes the diagnosis is meaningless. And the latest on Dave Moyes, the Man United manager, as his future at the club looks increasingly uncertain. He's not lasted too long, has he? Was it something like ten months? Uh, Yasmin Khan, the broadcaster and playwright, will be live in the studio looking at the uh, the papers for Nick Ferrari today. Uh, other stories which are, which are making the... Uh, the front pages, uh, a couple of people. They always get a couple fast asleep on a beach. I don't know if they... Are they allowed to just go up to somebody? So there must be a posed picture. They must say, can we take your picture and we're going to put you on the front page of the Times? Because here they are, enjoying the sun at Western Supermare, which is uh, which is lovely. Uh, the, the Times have jumped the gun and gone farewell to Moyes. United to Axe, Fergie's chosen one. Uh, also, the, uh, the Nepalese Sherpas on Mount Everest, have gone on strike over pay conditions and the deaths of 13 colleagues uh, in an avalanche, leaving 330 foreign climbers stranded at base camp. Because at some point, apparently, on Everest, it's absolutely huge. There's a queue a mile long. About it for this morning, I'm afraid. I've got no more time. I wish I could stay here for another 35 seconds, but I can't, because I've got to go and, and uh, record our free podcast for you for today. Thank you for your uh, texts and your emails. I know it's back to work, and I know it's a miserable day, but I'm sure we'll make the best of it. Weather not going to be the best. I'm back tomorrow from four. If you missed any of today's show, you can listen again with our new podcast service, down Download the app now on the LBC website and check out that little uh, video of me doing the Google Glass. Later on LBC, Nick Ferraris here from 7 with breakfast. Next, Lisa Aziz with the morning news.